Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. There's still time on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. I'm your host, Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pender. I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And oh, I, I feel I feel we're gonna be on fire tonight. BC Place on Sunday night. The smoke had kind of permeated inside and it was kind of hanging a little bit low. Did that affect the Whitecaps' performance? Did the Montreal Ultras bring some smoke to BC Place? Is that what had happened? I don't know. All I do know is that game between the Whitecaps and the Montreal Impact took me back 10, 11 years. I thought I was at Swan Guard watching MDS on the sideline of a battle between Montreal and Vancouver that was just getting out of hand on the pitch. And Montreal got the upper hand. That's what it felt like to me. Very nostalgic. We saw six goals, two sending offs, number of bookings, tempers flared. It was an eventful match. The Whitecaps ended up on the wrong end of a 4-2 loss. The burning question for me, no pun intended with everything that's happening around about here just now, what the hell happened out there? It was, as I put to MDS afterwards... Insanity. Just what's your general thoughts on how that match played out? It seemed like a normal game, other than the Whitecaps scoring pretty early, I guess. Uh, but that wasn't normal. That too, either. But it seemed like a normal running game, and then, yeah, all of a sudden, I think the biggest turning point. I know there'll be other ones still, but that 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 the penalty at the end of the first half, I think, for me was the, a big turning point. Yeah. Um, if they had gone in 1-1, maybe everybody would have been level-headed, but that kind of set to stage four of the second half because the second half was crazy. Yeah, I agree. The sending off was a big point, obviously. I think that penalty was a, another turning point as well, Steve. Um, what, did, what did you guys think about the like the lineup? Because it, it felt it like... It unchanged. Sort of- yeah, it felt sort of like the formation and the lineup would like were there was finally getting some consistency. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it was the right decision. I don't think you could change it after the shift that that lineup put in against TFC, and it was a good performance. I mean, we all came out of that TFC game wondering had the Whitecaps turned the corner? Was the the home field advantage what played? We kind of really knew the answer, but as football fans, we have to have hope because without hope, there's nothing. So I think we were all hoping that something was going to have changed. 
my sorry, my issue with that lineup was that the I know they got to win the last game, but they weren't perfect and they, they did have holes. So I think they should have made some changes. They, this is a team that can't be um, stuck in one position. They, they don't have the luxury of being that. They have to always be able to identify changes. They just can't say, oh, we won last game. Let's just keep the same lineup. No, it, it doesn't work that way. I Well, yeah, I agree with Steve too because it wasn't like the starting 11 from that game went out, played a solid 75-plus minutes together, got the result, and collectively like – earn that result and deserve to start again, in my opinion. Now, uh, now, I know the pro is, overall, you got the result and this is who started and you want to give, you want to help build some confidence and that kind of, and familiarity and chemistry and all that kind of stuff. But it felt a little bit, a little bit strange to go, uh, to go back to something when there were obviously, it, you know, like, like Steve said, it was not a, it was not any, anywhere close to being a perfect game from, from the, the starting starting 11. There was just so much that happened out there and it's going to be hard genuinely to, to do a, a recap of the game. We'll talk about some of the major incidents. I'm sure we'll miss some of the, the major incidents and then in the next part we'll kind of break down some of the individual playing performances, some of the Whitecaps issues and then we'll look at some of the other Whitecaps news that, that's kind of come out this week as well. But if, if we start off Montreal, it was going the same way as the TFC game in that the Whitecaps were giving up a lot of possession. Montreal just seemed to be having fun knocking the ball about. Then it felt like from nowhere, Milinkovic, defence splitting pass, set Theo Bear off, great work by Theo, cut inside, left his guy behind, put it into the far post. Diop, not really sure what he was doing, but, I mean, well-taken goal. And you're thinking, oh, yes, they are actually building on, on what we saw against TFC. Yeah, I mean, full credit to Theo for his effort, for his pace, for yeah, even for his finish. But you can't talk about the goal without talking about how poor it was from Diop. Um, I mean, it, it looked, it looked the, more you, the more angles you watch it, the more you're like, why, is he, why did he not readjust? Why did he maybe not step forward more? And even if you watch the broadcast, Dolan was was questioning him on it, which, it, you know, lets you know that it was poor from the keeper. Um, so, again, full credit to Theo. Great pass from Milinkovic. Uh, but it was a little bit more of Montreal errors than, than uh, I think it weighed more on Montreal's errors than on the Whitecaps. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I I thought the pass from Malinkovic was spot on. That was a great pass, so you can't give him there. And Theo Bear put it in the right spot. So I don't think you could all put it on. And I don't think the most of it, you'd, I think it was a fantastic setup and finish and, and for the Whitecaps. At this point, you know, there's always things you can nitpick. And I'm sure we'll get to some of the Whitecaps nitpicks about the mistakes they made. But okay. no, I mean, no, it was good from Milinkovic. The pass was, I think, the best part, followed by Bear's uh, pace and, and positioning. I thought his finishing was good. But, Steve, you can't talk about that goal without talking about the very poor positioning of the keeper. Well, yeah, but that's every – but what if, what if Bear's uh, speed or pace or whatever you want to say caused that keeper to get out of position and everything like that? There's a whole bunch of things you can say, but you can't always pin it on 
the goalkeeper every time. No, but I, no, but they like the effort. Just sticking our leg out. That's that's how I played goalkeeping when I played five a side football. It's like I never dive. Just stick my leg out. If I reach it, great. If not, I don't. I don't think the keeper was expecting the shot to go there. I, I think he was expecting it to be like right at him or something because the angle. He probably thought he had the angle covered right. Perhaps. I mean, if you're then talking about some of the key turning points in the game, the 13th minute, Milinkovic, she's played in wide open, takes a shot, Diop, great save. Milinkovic really should have done better with it, though. Maybe take a touch, run in, do something with it instead of hitting it first time. It's one of those ones, if that had gone in, put the white caps 2-0 up. So Milinkovic had that chance, and then Montreal made the white caps pay. 15th minute, great work by by Kyoto. Thought he'd maybe got the goal himself. Just as he hit it, he got the better of Hassal. It crashed off the back post. Uh, many times that would have gone in. Then the ball falls to Montreal's Okwonko. Easy tapping for, for the lad. And then it's one all, and you're starting to think, ah, maybe we haven't turned the corner after all. It, it was poor defensive play. And when you look at the ball, Piet, we talked about Milinkovic's kind of defence piercing pass. Milinkovic to Kyoto as well was fantastic. I, I thought Cornelius had done a lot right, right up until the final seconds of Kyoto getting the shot off. And he was easily kind of pushed out of the way and it let Kyoto get the shot off. I know Kyoto was a, a handful, but I think Cornelius probably could have done better there. Hassal's positioning as well wasn't great because he didn't have his near post covered and it let the ball go between him and the near post to then crash off the back post. Thoughts, thoughts on that one? Yeah, I agree. Uh, the uh, Cornelius had it, but I think also that the uh, what the Montreal had found probably throughout the whole game was that they had uh, they, they were going down that left side, uh, the Whitecaps left side, their their right side. A lot, and I think they found something there that they were going to expose, and uh, uh, it, it pulled a uh, it pulled the Whitecaps line a little bit to that left side, and that opened up, and that's why um, the, the, they were able to score that first goal because there was so much space left over after that initial shot um, on that right side. So th- th- there's something about that left side, and I think the TFC did that on one of their goals for sure, where they pulled people to the left side. Uh, trying to you know create gaps because they they felt I think the they've seen that the midfield doesn't fall back and I think you mentioned that uh, before where the I think it was even mentioned by Andy Rose so you might want to correct me on this in the post game that he felt like people weren't tracking back and and I think the midfielders aren't tracking back not only not to create space but also to fill up space in the box. Yeah, it was another time uh, which we've seen this year and last year where. Uh, Ali Adnan is is kind of pushed forward and then gets caught out of position. And what actually ends up happening is Cornelius slides over, uh, not, not not fully into like a fullback position, but he slides over to to try and take care of Kyoto. And uh, um, Ali Adnan tucks in to try and kind of re- recover in the middle. Now Cornelius, I think, does mostly well. The problem is, I think he thought he did enough. To put Kyoto off from doing anything meaningful, yeah. And Kyoto shows his quality uh, by getting the, the the shot off that he he does hits the post, and it's an easy, uh, you know, in the end, it's an easy it's an easy goal for Montreal, which is 
I mean, we've been watching Kyoto for what five years now since he he came to visit here with with the uh, Olympia, uh, and he's been a, an exciting player that we all thought always thought, oh, maybe he could come here one day, and I think he's been showing uh, this season why he's a you know a player that you would want in your team, uh, in, in in your in your amongst your attackers in your team. It, it was it was real quality from him. But you're right, Steve. They were attacking kind of kind of space in transition. They were, they were attacking space kind of opened up by by Ali being pushed forward uh, with a, with a quick ball out wide into that into the space on the Whitecaps left. Yeah, I mean, if we talked about the Milinkovic chance that was saved earlier on as one of the the key potential turning points for the game, there was another one in the twenty fourth minute, and we won't delve into all the ins and outs of this just now because. They obviously had a part to play in another incident later on in the match. So we'll, we'll talk about it all then. But it's the 24th minute. And the the move starts off with what was a fantastic play by Michael Baldissimo. Hard tackle, won the ball, brilliant turn by him to get away from a couple of Montreal guys. Passed the ball to Cava, who also did a nice little spin and turn. Went into the, the impact half and they then played an absolutely shocking attempted through ball for Theo to run onto when Milinkovic was streaking to his left and that was the ball to, to get. And I think Kava probably realised at that point that he'd played a bad ball. He was a little bit frustrated. And then he does a ridiculous challenge on Binks. And it's not the challenge that got him booked, it was the after effect. Tells when he kind of puts his his arm around Binks's neck, it gets him a booking... And you're thinking, 24 minutes gone, he's on a yellow card, we know he's a little bit hot-headed and a tough tackler. I, I was worried. I was worried in the game against TFC when he crashed into Osorio. It all worked out that, that day. Did not work out this week. It, it, it was so undisciplined. Like it, was so, it was so uncalled for. It was so after... It was idiocy. Yeah, it was a, like after the play was gone and... There was only one thing. There was only one of two things were going to happen: a yellow card or a red card. Now, I think a yellow card was more than enough. But from like from Cavallini, it's yeah, it's idiocy. I I don't know if it's because he's played in Mexico. I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of Mexican football. Is it more physical there that you get away with these kind of little things, and he's expecting to still get away with it because obviously he's playing in Uruguay as well, and you can imagine a hell of a lot of stuff like that goes on in Uruguay. Well, I don't know. Do you, you think Binks has kind of just got under his skin? I think he did big time. I think Binks knows how to get under player skins, and I think he did a very good job at it. I, as, as we'll discuss later on, but in the second incident. And, and the other possibility is that uh, Lucas is not a huge fan of the Star Wars prequels. And so he's not Understandable. a big fan of Binks, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was hoping something would happen with Binks so we'd have a ready-made headline or theme for this episode, but it didn't quite work out the way that, that I was hoping. Cavallini nearly made amends, though, in the 30th minute when Tiber, of all people, sent in a delicious floating ball to the edge of the box. Cava met it with a header. It was looping. Diop was at full strength, tipped it over, and it, it was a good game. By this point, both teams were quite open. It was free-flowing football. I, I was enjoying it. And at that point, by the half-hour mark, I think genuinely you felt it could go either way. The, the quality wasn't the best, but it was definitely like it was catching your eye. It was 
you're yeah you didn't know what was going to happen but you knew there was more more chances and more things to come in the match 39th minute Whitecaps got a scare ball ends up in the back of the net two unmarked players as the ball comes into the back post it gets headed home they were unmarked because they were offside you'd think that would maybe set some of the defensive alarm bells ringing but it didn't it was a warning the Whitecaps didn't heat and Montreal got the chance to go ahead Minute before half time, lovely through ball, Hassal comes out, brings down Kyoto, and for me, Kyoto did everything perfect that you would want from a striker there. He takes a slight delay, knowing that Hassal's coming out, Hassal brings him down, clear penalty, no, no questions about it. And we'll talk about Thomas Hassal's overall play in the next part, but I mean, it was a clear penalty for me. Should he have done better and got to the ball, got an arm to it at least, tried to knock it away. I, I, I don't think he could really have got to it without clattering into Kyoto. And for me, the Honduran did everything right there. I, uh, I, this is the thing that I have a pet peeve about uh, goalkeepers, that they they essentially don't stay on their feet. Like There, there was an opportunity for him to just stay on his feet, uh, move laterally sideways and keep Kyoto basically moving towards the sideline because he wasn't going towards the net at that point. So I think if he just delayed it enough for another defender to get back to take over or something, he could have then backtracked the net. That's something that, that I, I don't know what they teach. I'm not, that's something that like a Reagan Hall would be able to tell us more about, uh, about what they teach in, in why they have to dive in there because it happens so often. And most of the time it's not necessary for them to do this. Yeah, it was it was a really nice, uh, really nice pass, really nice run from Montreal. Again, Kyoto is a you know in MLS is a game changer, and, and he proved for the second time in the in the game. Uh, even you know, kind of fought with tight air to take the take the penalty. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree with Steve in, in the sense that it was it, it just seems like it was poor decision making by a, by a young keeper. Um, just hope, you know, kind of just hoping he can get his fingertips to the ball and then not have to worry about what comes after. Uh, and uh, Kyoto touches it and, and, and he takes him out. Because so. I guarantee you, if, if somebody did the research on this, the percentages of it leading to a penalty is probably much higher than uh, the goalkeeper actually doing something with it. Yeah, I just think he was maybe a little bit slow to come out. Defense did hang him out to dry a little bit. Tadair stepped up, buried the penalty. Little bit of argument. Kyoto wanted to take it, but thankfully it, it didn't go too bad. It wasn't another Columbus situation. I think Thierry talked talk to called Kyoto after over to the sideline right after that and said something to him. Ah, I think there was an image of him going to the bench and looked like one of the coaches was there to talk to him. But Tadair stepped up, buried it, two one Montreal. That was the half time. You wondered how it was going to come out for the second half. Whitecat's still very much in it, but six minutes into the second half, you felt at that point it was kind of lights out. The way it had been going, I, I tweeted in our, our WhatsApp group at halftime, I fancied it was going to be 5-1 to Montreal. I just thought they were going to kind of be dominant in the second half. They went 3-1 up six minutes into the restart, and it's all stemmed from Eric Godoy. It was quite a lazy tackle on Okwonko, and it allowed Okwonko to kind of cut into the middle. He pulls Owusu with him. Then Godoy hasn't fully recovered. He plays the ball to Tider up the left wing. Tider 
easily gets past Godoy, cuts it into the middle. Who's waiting there? Sam Piet drills at home, 3-1 Montreal. There was no coming back, he felt, after that. And you could tell that the bench probably really uh, put the blame on Godoy, considering, well, he was one of four people substituted with the like four minutes later, but yeah, he was definitely the first one substituted. Yeah, it was it was it was funny because on the broadcast, multiple times the commentators have mentioned how Thierry Henry had been, you know, wanting Sam Samuel Piet to be more involved with goals and setting up goals. And uh, yeah, this is his first, I think, league goal for Montreal. But just the, uh, I mean, you described it well, Michael. But from Sam from Sam Piet's perspective, I mean, a good not even that late, but a good good run into the box and a, and a tidy finish. Absolutely. Then the insanity really took over. So so let's start in the 55th minute where, as Steve alluded to there, the Whitecaps made four substitutions. Mass substitutions all at once. Dahomey came on for Obuso. Gutierrez came on for Adnan. Montero still exists. Came on for Theo Bear. And Jake Nerwinski came on for Eric Godoy. So you're freshening it up in all areas of the pitch. Yeah, and the thing is, is uh, two of them you could say are were uh, kind of strategy. You know, putting Montero in for Bear, you get somebody who's a finisher. Uh, Bear's already scored a goal, so you get him off. Dahomey in for Owusu. That's another one where you're, you're thinking, you know, um, you know, you, you're trying to get something going. You're trying to get somebody forward because you're down two goals. The Gutierrez for Adnan. And the Nowitzki for Godoy are clear substitutions where they don't think those guys have it that they're taking off. Um, in that case, like if you were thought and and then had it going into this game or during this game, you would have moved them up the pitch instead of taking them off the pitch. So that's for me is a clear indication that MDS did not think Godoy clearly didn't have it because he was laboring, and Adnan didn't have it at all, whether it was effort or whatever the case it was. The I I, I agree I agree with you on. Uh, on the first two ones the second one the second two um let's talk about godoy first with the, with the godoy thing honestly when i heard the substitutions were happening and godoy was going off i looked at the clock because i thought okay last game he went 45 this game it makes sense though he'll go 60 so that one oh, yeah, maybe initially i thought oh this is a plan this is a follow-up to last week plus again you bring on jake who has more going forward you need goals it makes kind of sense. So I think I think you might be off on that, but but you could okay. be right, and I could be wrong. The alley, no, but but but, yeah. but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in the fact that maybe he was waiting for the 60th minute, but he he didn't want to use like multiple substitutions, yeah. so he thought he just got Godoy off at 55. Yeah, you're probably you might be right there. But but the Adnan one, I mean, yeah, the Adnan one. The, I mean, if you want goals. You 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 put Gutierrez at left back and you move Adnan up to to left to left midfield for his creativity and his offensive prowess. Um, the fact that Ali Adnan was substituted, goes to the locker room, showers, and then is sitting with the undressed players for the rest of the game, kind of speaks volumes. Within it? twenty minutes, within twenty minutes too. It wasn't even that like it took that long for him, but of course. If, if they didn't think he made much of an effort, maybe he didn't need to take a shower after the game. Maybe he just changed his clothes. Well, I, I think this is a, a good time to, to read what I felt was the, the tweet of the night. It was from Jake Nemich. 
and he said if the Whitecaps could play with the same urgency that Adnan has when showering and changing, we'd be planning a parade. <laughs> That's a good one. He was super quick to, to, to get changed and up there. It was kind of incredible, but I guess what else is there to do? I mean, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about Ali in the next part. But I mean, the, the subs happened. Two minutes later, Whitecaps down to 10 men. Lucas Cavallini picks up his second yellow. Now, let's talk through the move. First of all, great long ball forward from Tybert. Another fantastic pass by Tybert. I'll tip my hat for him to that. I think Freddie Montero was offside. I've watched it a few times, and I'm still not sure how the hell he was onside when, that, when the ball got to him. Maybe he's just super quick and outran the defender. Now, Freddie's touch was poor, but it actually worked out good for him because then it allowed him to play in Cava, and then the ball was just getting away from him. Diop came out. You don't think he played in Cava? or No, well, that's the thing. His first touch is so poor, which makes sense because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't appear like match fit, match ready, which is understandable based on his not playing. So his first touch is awful. His second touch is like a falling down. So he does go, he does play in Cava, but I think he, his ball is, is not weighted uh, well enough, which leads to how Cava tries to extend himself to, to, to win the ball. So I think if, even if a, a more match fit Colombian, even if he makes that first bad touch, I still think his second touch into Cava would have been better if he had been, you know, match fit. Oh, yeah, I think that definitely would have played a part to it. And the, the first touch in particular, that was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, that's a guy that hasn't been playing. And it nearly worked. But then the ball's getting away from Cava. And I've watched it back. And after the game, MDS said that, yep, definitely a booking. He's no complaints about it. And it's a second booking, which means it's a red card. He said he felt a little bit for Cava because he felt there was no way that he could pull his foot out of it. And then we were talking about this before we were recording, and I've just watched it back again just now. And it actually looks worse now that you look it back. Cava definitely had a chance to pull his foot out of that. So he, when I first saw it live, I was like, did he even catch him? And then you see the replay, and it's like, oh, that's right on the top of his head. And then just watching it back just now, it's like, it looks a bit nastier. Um, There's maybe a bit of frustration. I wouldn't be surprised if between that and the reaction afterwards, which we'll come to in a sec, that we see a two-game ban for Cava. When you watch the one angle from behind, uh, from kind of like Thomas Hassel's kind of perspective, if he was tall and had good eyes, it, it definitely looks like he doesn't do everything he can to get his foot out of the way. Which even if he even even if MDS is right and you're like oh you know what it's you know, the pace he's going in at you can't get your foot away it comes back down to he should he made such a bad decision in the first half on the first yellow card that the whole sending off is, is foolish to begin with but for me really it's two two really really undisciplined and really really you know inexcusable decisions that he's made that have cost him and that have cost his team. My my only thing is that uh, like yeah his foot was definitely in there left in there but the thing is if he'd stepped forward he might actually stepped on his head or or, or or cleated him or something like that 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 is a possibility like I'm not sure what he could have done with his feet he was just in a bad spot 
And it seems to always happen to the Whitecaps where their players always seem to catch the head of the – like I think Gudamani got sent off with a red card. That was oh, a streak, yeah. I think it was, Yeah, um, a couple a few years ago. So, And then there have been others. And while Whitecaps goalies, whenever they get – goalkeepers, whenever they get clattered into, it seems like no cards ever come out. Like I thought Carducci – Carducci, when that was a clattering, and you you could easily say that the player could have avoided that if he wanted to, but he went in for the ball. I, I can definitely see this being a, a two-game ban, whether it's for reckless play, whether it's for the reaction afterwards. I feel it's coming. Let's get to the reaction afterwards because I think that it even escalates then, right? And yeah. this is where you see that Binks has gotten under his skin because he has a go at Binks. And I think if you, if you watch it back and you read his lips, I think he says like, in the tunnel, I'm going to punch you. Or I, like, yeah, think, they yeah. were both they were both point, pointing to the tunnel. Yeah, and then I think if you read his looks, he says something like, "I'm going to punch you. I could punch you. I'll punch you." That's what it looked. And then the reason why I think you're right, Michael, his bend will be longer is he sort of grabs at his throat. Yeah, and I know yeah, it's, there was a, definitely a grab at the throat. For sure. I know it's not during play, but I'm pretty sure he's going to get more than one match bend from from uh, from MLS. And but then so he, that's he, un- he just lost it. Like it was yeah. like. Red came over him because yeah. I at first I thought, oh, Binks must really have said something bad to him, but yeah, just, he probably said it's... something bad about Zidane's sister. <laughs> I I think it's the pressure just exploding from from Kava's point of view. I'm not trying to excuse it at all because it's absolutely unacceptable. And when you've got a DP tag, it's meant to carry a bit more seniority in the team and you carry yourself a bit better. MDS said afterwards, and we'll play a bit from MDS in the next part, that he, no complaints with the setting off, very disappointed with Kava for the reaction afterwards, and he will be speaking to him next week about what's expected and how he has to keep those emotions in check. The one thing is, is we, we've only seen him with national team and a little bit this year. We don't know the type of player. Maybe this is the type of player he is in South America, yeah. where he's hot-headed. He does this kind of stuff. So we're not, we're, you know, we can't even call ourselves experts on him, even though he's a Canadian player because we've barely seen him. There's the the really bad decision, uh, undisciplined decision for the first yellow card. I think this the second one is also the same. Then you have the encounter with Banks after the sending off that to me is also inexcusable, and then. The fourth thing he does, which is just like childish and like it's just embarrassing, he's going over the boards, going into the tunnel, and he knocks the ball off the MLS stand there for that's there for the. Oh, I never noticed that. Go, go back and watch. Oh yeah, it. he did. He did. He that. jumps over the boards. He sees the ball and he knocks it off like like a child. Now I understand he's upset. I understand he's frustrated. But I mean, honestly, it's I, mean, I like Lucas Cavallini. I like him. It's embarrassing. And the, and the thing is, is uh, for me, when I saw it, that whole scenario, it gave me a Blas Perez kind of vibe. <laughs> uh, even even the even the earlier yellow card, that kind of gave me the same thing. It's like something he would have done back as in, in his FC Dallas days. Oh, I just saw him knock the ball, yeah. <laughs> as, I like how it's young Gutierrez that's having to calm down your DP as well. Jeez. And this is where I wish lip reading could come into it. I'm just watching it back here again. It's like really, really wish I, I, I could lip read that. Anyway. He's okay. pointing at me who says I'll have and punch you. Hey, I'm a Scottish guy. I've wanted to punch English people before. I can I I can that's okay. So fifty seven minutes gone, the white caps, two goals down, one man down. 
Could they stage a dramatic comeback? Find out in the next part of the AFTN Soccer Show. Spoiler, no. But we'll be back chatting about what happened in the rest of the game and some more Whitecap stuff after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's this week's song from this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN, from Falkirk, Scotland, Arab Strap. As I mentioned in last week's show, they're back with their first single in 15 years. New album coming out in 2021. We played that for you last week. We've gone way back to the start this week. That was their debut single, The First Big Weekend, taken from their 1996 debut album, The Week Never Starts Round Here, released on the iconic Glasgow label, Chemical Underground. And that's actually a song I've had penned to to feature in wavelength at some point over the, the years, and I haven't yet. One year I will. I keep waiting to use it at the start of summer because the, the song is about the first big weekend of summer and the song is basically featured around the Scotland-England match at the 1996 Euros. So it does have a football flavour and the whole song is fantastic. It was hard to get a really good snippet of it there just to kind of capture the full song, but hope you enjoyed that one. We'll be back with some more Arab Strap next week. So back to talking Whitecaps now and the Whitecaps, as I mentioned there, Two goals down, a man down. Could it possibly get any worse? Yes. Yes, it could. Because three minutes after the sending off of Cavallini, on the hour mark, Romel Kyoto gets the fourth goal for Montreal. Ah, I feared the floodgates were going to open in that one after that. Yeah, that was a, that was kind of reminiscent of last week's goal. Uh, the one, oh, who was it? With Pozuelo, the header, mm. the one where it just opened up for them, and they, they just the big the back line was just basically spread open, and Kyoto just walked in there and and put it through. Hassal was going, "What's going on here?" I, I think you're right, Steve, because it did remind me of that because, and I think I got it wrong on the show last week because I was watching it back again, and I, I put a lot of the, the blame on the Pozuelo goal for uh, for Jake Nowinski not really picking him up. But what Pozuela did and Kyoto essentially did on this goal is he was Andy Rose's man. 
yeah. and then kind of snuck between him and the fullback and got enough space to, you know, head that goal in. And Kyoto does something similar uh, in this, where he just finds the backside of Rose, and, uh, and Rose is re- Rose's marking is really, really poor. And Jake is standing there at the end being like, oh, come, like, come on. Um, and that's something where that's something where you know you know Andy Rose is a you know a, a calming presence on the pitch or whatever, but that's what an experienced center back does not allow it to happen. Yeah, uh, somebody to slip in behind you like that so easily. It was a so beautiful it, ball in. I've got to say from yeah. Piet, it yeah, was like yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It was assisted by two Canadians on that one. Yeah, ZPG. But I mean, yeah, Rose definitely at fault for that one. He was he was so motionless. There's a couple like even the the first goal for Montreal, Rose was kind of stationary. I know the ball came off the post, and you're maybe not expecting that, but he was very stationary for that one. And I mean, let let's get into chatting a little bit then about about the defense just now. Andy Rose kept his spot in Orlando. The question a lot of folk were asking is, oh, where's Cornelius? What's happening with Cornelius? He's now got the start. And the question folk are asking is, where's Ranko? What's happened to Ranko? Because he had a good tournament down in Orlando. And then I I don't know what it was that MDS saw out of him that he didn't like in particular in those first games against TFC. And he wasn't stellar, but I would maybe have persevered with him. There, there's some, The thing that sticks in my head about it is if I'm if I'm right, his contract is if he plays eleven games, it triggers his signing thing, and the Whitecaps have to sign him. Are they having buyers regret push possibly about him? Yeah, maybe if somebody maybe they don't want to spend that money on him, and maybe they want to spend it somewhere else. I don't know. You you might have a point there. Maybe while Godoy is getting some time at the right back, maybe they want to actually put Godoy back at centre back. And they're happy with Cornelius. And so that's why they don't want to have Ranko, if that's the case, if that 11-game yeah. thing is. I mean, it might not. That's my conspiracy mind, obviously, taking over. And he's that made, I mean, that, he's made seven so like appearances that. so far, so that he's only got four more to go. Yeah, I mean, that would make, that would make the most white cap sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, but but Zach, I don't. Uh, but Zach, if they're if they're having second thoughts about him and they don't want to sign him, going that actually is a good thing to do. Like that's something they should have done with Brett Shea back in the, <laughs> a couple of years ago, which would have avoided them getting another year out of him. Right, but here here's the thing: is he really like who, who do they have that's better now? Now they might have someone else lined up, which that's hard to believe, but. Right now, who's who's better than him other than Godoy? But what I'm saying is, what if they if the, uh, we're, this is all speculation? If this is the case, what if they do like what Cornelius showed them? So they feel like he is a starter in MLS, and they know they've already spent the money on Godoy. They know they don't want to play him at right back long term, and so they want to put him back at center back. And then they don't feel like they want to spend the money on Ranko and spend that somewhere else. That's Michael, what I'm saying. That, yeah, yeah, that would be fair, but. It, it, yeah, it, feel, it still feels weird. Do you remember, Michael, do we know the price tag they have to pay for Renko should they, the, the thing trigger? Off the top of my head, no. And, I mean, I, I, think, he, I think he's done well. And I, he wasn't great against TFC, but I don't think he was that bad that you'd necessarily leave him out. But I, I thought him and Cornelius would be the centre-backs going forward and you'd move Rose back into a midfield role. Maybe we'll see that on Wednesday, though. 
I mean, defensively, there was a, there was a lot that you can point fingers at in, in this one. Andy Rose said afterwards that part of the issue, and it's something I know Steve's talked about, which feels like so much for so many years and it just never gets better, the midfield. And Rose talked about that you need the, the players in the midfield and the attack to drop their lines to stop allowing the space in behind the, the back four. And, I mean, the defence, some of it was poor, but at the same time, you need the midfield to do so much better. You're, no, you're, you're right. Uh, I mean, you're just talking about that fourth goal, right? Like, it's, it's a simple give and go from Piet to Brogiard that Russell just, like, for some reason collapses so hard that on the return pass to Piet, he's so wide open and can just play a simple, simple pass into into Kyoto, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean that's just one example of you know how the midfield isn't what it what it what it should what it, what it should be. I mean, the bright spot obviously is Baldissimo and the way that he is um, playing, the way he's carrying himself, uh, the way I think for me one of the most exciting things is the way he's been passing the ball. Uh, his 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 ability to switch play is is really encouraging, but they still don't have someone to be the general of the midfield and like the, you know, the epicenter of, 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 of the attack. Yeah. It's, I think it's something that he'll pick up once he gets more experience. Um, and once he gets that, then I think that will be uh, where he is, but he's not there right now. And that's where I agree with you that I think they need to bring somebody in that could be that person so that he can actually learn from that person to know what they need uh, in a, every game to game kind of situation. And so he could become that player in a year or two. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely, we're needing this kind of midfield general, as you said, in particular. I mean, we've talked about a lot of the negatives of the game. Let's talk about some of the positives of the game from the Whitecaps' point of view, because there were some. And I know Zach's looking confused here. I, I genuinely, I'm taking some positives from this. And my positives are strange, perhaps. But it's basically, the way that this team played after they went 4-1 down and a man down, that, we saw the passion that was missing for the pretty much the whole game. We saw some fight. We saw some desire. We saw some hunger from players. And all the guys that came on made an impact. Dahomey, he, he was looking sharp. He was looking fresh. He was causing a lot of problems. He had an effort in the 63rd minute that just got tipped over by Diop. Then he gets clattered in the middle of the field, just past the midway point of the half that sees Maciel get, get sent off. And uh, what what did you make of that sending off? For me, I think it was a sending off because I think Maciel was, was reckless and out of control. Any doubts about it? No, and I'm kind of, the way that referee was, uh, you know, officiating the game, I was surprised he didn't do it right off the bat. Like that's, like he was very strict on the calls. And that one he let go, and luckily VAR was able to pick it out um, for, uh, for the Whitecaps because it did give him an, you know, a chance to come back. But um, yeah, the clear, clear red card, no doubt in my mind on that one, considering the new rules. Yeah, I, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a fair sending off. Uh, I think Drew Fisher was in charge of VAR, so he's funny. Yeah, that's rare that we get anything from him. Yeah. But I guess, Michael, it's fair to say that, yeah, they looked like, I mean, it looked like they, they had some impetus, you know, when they were playing 
you know, down a man and then 10 V 10 to try and get something back in the game. We're talking about, you know, defenders there and who should they keep or, and, you know, who should they, you know, let go or, you know, not, uh, you know, with Ranko situation or whatever. I mean, if they just had like defenders like Camargo scoring goals for them every game. And well, yeah. Let, let's re- rewind from before the sending off then because in between Dahomey's shot and Dahomey getting hacked down, the Whitecaps reduced the deficit to, to two in the, the 66th minute. Rudy Camacho, it's, you get by with a little help from your friends, the Beatles said, and Camacho clearly helping the Whitecaps out there. Lovely ball in, though, from, from Gutierrez, who I'll come in a sec just for his overall play. Camacho was unlucky, but it made it 4-2, and you thought, no, surely there, there's not going to be a a comeback with a man down. But then when Maciel had got sent off, you're thinking, you know what? If they get a third one now, it's going to make things interesting. And yeah, and, and, and even before that uh, the play, it was a nice, uh, uh, you were talking about earlier, a switch play by Baldissimo to yes. Milinkovic. And Milinkovic got it out to um, Gutierrez really quick out there So that, on the overlap. So that's exactly what they're looking for. And they got that. Um, and And... I know we're going to talk about later, but I thought Gutierrez put a fine ball in. And right after that, he was getting everybody ready to uh, get on the pitch and get going right away. Yeah, had had yeah, pointed yes. to the head a couple of times. I, yeah. I, I liked that. And it's like, I, I was saying he was calming Cava down when he went off. I mean, let, let's talk about Gutierrez then just now. I, I liked what I saw of him briefly in Orlando. I thought it was good. We talked about it on the show, his link-up play with Adnam. It was nice to have a left-back that actually remembers he's a defender and tracks back to try and defend. And I, I genuinely liked the partnership of Gutierrez and Adnam going up the left wing. We tried it here after the restart against TFC. Did not work very well. Or was it against Casey? One of the games, anyway, didn't work very well. And then it seemed to get dropped. I think it's worth trying it again. And pushing Ali forward with nothing to lose on Wednesday now. May as well just go and experiment a little bit. And the thing is, is I don't know why they dropped it so quickly. You, you know, it, it, sh- it showed promise. Let it have its course. Even if it doesn't, it fails in a game or two. Um, keep it going because you never know when it's going to uh, show some magic again. So I, I don't know why they drop things so quickly um, when it fails. And, and some things they keep for extended periods of time, like. For example, Andy Rose as center back. Yes. So it's, it's 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 a weird thing that some things they're willing to keep and some things they like drop at the you know at the you know, leave at the get rid of at the drop of a hat. So yeah, it's worth persevering with Zach. I feel. Yeah, I mean Gutierrez. If you want to talk about bright spots in the game, I know he obviously didn't get that that much time, but uh, he yeah he was one of the bright spots, and he is one of the also one of the players where you see like potential. You see promise, and he seems like a guy who could be a part of uh, like a solid MLS player for Vancouver. Yeah, he's a guy that looks an exciting prospect for sure. And I think we all know Adnan's going to move on sooner rather than later. So if he was the guy that was brought in to kind of be molded and shaped to be his replacement, I'm happy with that. I've liked what I've seen from him. He's a young guy. He's, he's hungry. He wants to get back into the Canadian men's national team kind of picture. So for me, I know we don't like picking Whitecaps men of the match after defeats, but he was my man of the match for the Whitecaps tonight, which kind of shows you how bad it was really. The rest, of them. although maybe Michael Baldissimo again, because I did think he had a good game. 
I thought Milinkovic probably gets a oh, shout actually, too. Oh, actually, yeah, uh, no, that that's fair. I, well, I don't think he he had that many, but the few moments he had were good. I want to go back to Ali and for a second there. Um, speaking of him moving on and everything, were there any flights to Russia tonight or something like that that he needed to get ready for? <laughs> and that's why he had changed so quickly. Maybe he just didn't like the smoky smell in his clothes and he just wanted to change out of it. That I can relate to. Yeah. Just just to add to the you know the top players in the game, I think you mentioned the the, the three key, three of the key ones with uh, Gutierrez, uh, Baldissimo, and Milinkovic. I think if you're going to add a fourth, it has to be Theo Bear. Yeah, yeah he had a not good just, out. Not just he scored, but I think I think overall he did. Well, clearly he he had nothing to do with that goal. It was all uh, the goalkeeper's fault. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> that's not what I said. Anyway, I mean, the rest of the game, the Whitecaps, they pressed hard. They had a couple of chances. They genuinely had a couple of chances that could have tied up at 4 all if, if they'd put them away, but wasn't to be. The, the worst one of all was Russell Tybert's one that got cleared off the goal line in the dying moments. Anywhere else, and that was in the back of the net, and it just happened to fall right to where the, the guy was. It was his right foot, to be fair. Still disappointing, but... I, I like the fight. I like the spirit. That's what I want to see moving forward, especially as we've got a quick turnaround and we, we play the impact again on Wednesday. We'll get to that in a sec. Before we, we talk about that and a couple of the other Whitecaps things, let's just hear a little bit of the post-game audio now from both head coaches. So first of all, we'll hear from Montreal's Thierry Henry and then the Whitecaps' Mark DeSantis. You can see Thierry Henry. He is the best player you will ever see. Uh, Terry, what are you um, most pleased about uh, tonight? Uh, the fact that the team remains alive in the Canadian Championship, or I'm guessing more so the way the team recovered uh, after you fell behind one nothing, and it was almost 2 nothing, of course. Well, exactly what you said. We escaped uh, on a mistake uh, right in front of the box. We're trying to play, um, but the way we reacted was great. Uh, we started to play, we started to trust the shape, our structure, and then uh, we scored goals. It changed, it changed, it does change your ball game when you put the ball in the back of the net more often than not, and so that's what happened. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, maybe not the last uh, 15 to 20 minutes was kind of it became, it became kind of a weird game, uh, but overall, you know, it's not easy to come here and uh, and to do what we've done, so uh, we're, we're pretty happy with it. Uh, wondering if you said it was kind of a weird game. Uh, can you speak a little bit more to that? It, it seems like tensions were really high. Were you expecting that going in? What was that all about? I said it, it was weird. After uh, when you get, have guys getting red cards, games become a bit, uh, a bit different. Um, but yeah, overall, we're happy with the win. I'm just curious, are you focused more on all the positives that we've talked about or that sort of weird portion that you touched on there in the 10 minutes with the penalty and the red card? Uh, no, I just, uh, like I said, uh, you guys are funny because when you don't win, you don't, you're asking, you know, we're missing goals and 1v1s, you score four goals away from home and you want to talk about the end of the game. We will, uh, among us, talk about the end of the game, but among us, um, after that, we won again 4-2 four, four away from home. I would like to think that's a, that's a good win. Uh, was the game perfect? The game is never perfect. Uh, but we're happy with the win. Really, really 
tough game to try and even break down and analyse right after the final whistle. But, I mean, what did you make of it all? It just seemed insanity out there at times. Yeah, it'll. it's to come here and talk with you right after the game uh, without seeing some of the moments is, uh, is hard. But uh, what I'll say is that um, we got the first goal. Then there's a great chance to do the 2-0. Uh, we don't score. The up makes a, good, a very good save. Um, and then when they tied the game, uh, in the play with Kyoto and Okwongo, we we became in a lot unstable. Um, we became unstable. We we struggled, and then that penalty shot that just before half it hurt the team. It hurt the team. It, it was tough for us to to come back, unfortunately. But then. Um, I would say that the positive is the way that the four guys came in when the, the subs were making, when everybody on the bench um, brought a lot of energy and belief. And then we, we, we tried to push when we pushed um, and make, made the 4-2. And then there's a great chance at minute 88 uh, to make the 4-3 and to still have a game on. But unfortunately, overall, Montreal deserved the win today. I was going to ask you about the subs you made because obviously you, you make subs, you want to freshen things up, you want to see a response and you did get that from the guys that, that you brought on. But why do you think it took the team to have those additions and to go down a man before they kind of showed some of the passion and fight that we maybe saw in the Toronto game just last week? I'm not sure because before the game, there was a lot of belief. Uh, before the game, there was... Uh... Uh, everybody believing, especially after the Toronto game. But um, unfortunately, there's there's moments in our team of um, of uh, unbalancement and emotionally to deal with certain phases of the game that are are difficult. We need to be better. And what what happened is, I, I think that the the key moment was the the one one and how much instability for some reason. It, it, it brought and and again you know when we're on the ball and and we're up 1-0 and we try to force things instead of trying to control the game we put ourselves in trouble so again uh, trying to analyze here right now is is not easy because like you said it was kind of a chaotic game uh, so I, I don't want to say anything stupid that I'll regret. So I'm just being careful with my words. So uh, L- Lucas Cavallini, I know you like your players to play with passion. And tonight it looked like he was playing, you know, right on the edge. Was that what happened tonight? Was that fire or was that frustration from Lucas? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to talk because it's... Uh, he wasn't able to take his foot out on the up. So is it a yellow card? Yes. So it's a second yellow card. Uh, so it's uh, right from the ref that that had a very hard night like us. We had a hard night. The ref too had a very hard night. But that decision of the second yellow on Kava is the right one uh, because he wasn't able to take his foot off. Um, but then where we would expect uh, 
Kava to be better is in the reaction after because what Kava needs to understand it's it's not this game. There's the other games and right now with the action after we 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 have to see what could happen unfortunately because um he has to be able to control those moments because sometimes things don't go your way and sometimes it's hard nights and sometimes we need to know uh, how to control our frustrations and uh yeah hopefully it's going to be a huge learning process for him So both the gaffers there just chatting about the match and they're going to be back at it on Wednesday night at BC Place. The two teams meet again and there's going to be changes for sure from the Whitecats point of view. There's definitely not an unchanged lineup for this one. Striker position, definitely. That There's a need to fill there. Let's start at the other end though. Is this the time to give Brian and Meredith a run out? Thomas Hassal, he's had a good run. For me, he made a few mistakes tonight. His positioning was questionable for a couple of ones. He was a, a lucky lad a, a couple of times that, that things didn't go worse for him. Do you give Meredith a run out just to switch things up, get a more experienced head back there maybe? My only concern would be that you would damage his confidence if he did that. And I think there are games in the States where uh, they, that Meredith will probably get a shout out. I, I would say go back with us all. He's shown... Uh, more positive than negatives during his run right now. He he looked poor tonight, to be honest. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, I I agree. I, I would not go with Meredith. Uh, what what's the point of if they go with Meredith, then it kind of goes against the ethos they're trying to have of playing young Canadians and actually trying to show that they do they they are going to develop players. Because, like, like, you're not uh, – nothing meaningful is going to come from this year, if they're honest, right? And so why would you not allow him, uh, Hassal, to get as much experience as possible? Yeah, I do understand that. And we've still got the, the burning question that we'll, we'll come to when we have to come to it of once Kripal's back, he's obviously getting his, his starting role back. So then what do you do with Hassal? Because he's been playing all these games. He needs to continue to develop. So barring sending him out to, to Europe, which he could do with the, the European passport connections, he needs to play. So I guess these are the chance to, to see him. If he has another bad game, though, I feel you have to mix it up and, and give Meredith a, a chance in there. Yeah, for sure. Especially considering that the... Is it the oh, the first team they're facing is RSL. I think, right? Yes, the, 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 the next schedule. So, yeah. so, yeah, I don't have a problem with them putting Meredith in that kind of situation. Hmm. Well, I mean, Zach said, there's nothing coming out of this season. We're only five points out of the playoff positions, guys. Don't be such negative Nellies. That's just two wins. But, Michael, this team's not going to win anything in the a, in a play- playoffs. I, I was partly tongue-in-cheek there. Right. But, yes. Like I, I'm not saying that just to be negative. I mean, just like you, 
you have to be practical. You have to have, you have to be able to serve a long-term vision. That's not like, the, I mean, this is the one time, like they're not going to be able to sell tickets to a playoff. Right. So what does it matter trumping that you came top nine out of what is it? 12 teams. Well, top like, eight. Oh, sorry. Is it nine in the, the East or whatever? Anyway, whatever. It's, it's 10 or in the 10, East. 10, 10 in the East. That's what it is. Just, just let everyone go in the East. I know. I mean, for me, it's a season now where you want to develop the young guys and you want to to see, evaluate who has a future here. And, I mean, we talked earlier about Ranko. I'd bring Ranko back now. And I know it might end up triggering that they have to keep him. But you've still got another three games that you can evaluate him. And if you decide after those three games, or oh, maybe not, then you don't play him again. Do you keep Cornelius in there? He he had some good stuff in the last couple of games, but I think this was one of his poorest games for a while tonight. I want to see him play with Renko or Godoy. Yeah, I I do as well. Well, that's the other thing. It's like, do you move Godoy back into the middle now, and you you put Jake back in at right back? That's what I would do right there. Like, if you're going to play Godoy in there, and the thing is, with him playing centre back as well, he's not going to be running up and down and having to deal with speedy wingers. Um, and he might be able to make a whole ninety minutes at that point. Uh, so That's I would true. definitely put Godoy in the middle with Cornelius or Rankle with Godoy uh, or Rankle with Cornelius. One of the three, the combination there. And um, I, I would, I think Jake deserves a start. Like there was one yeah. point, um, the one point today where there was a breakout by Montreal, and Jake uh, kind of showed a poor man's Fonzie where he sprinted back and caught up with that defense. Uh, and he, and that guy had like 10, 15 yards on him too. And it was a, a really, and it was already 4-1 at that point or something like that, or 4-2. And it was late in the game and he put in a really strong effort. So I, I think Jake deserves a start at this point. Yeah, he's looked good off the bench the last two games. I, I think he has as well. My back four would be Nerwinski, Godoy, Ranko, and Adnan. It's mixing it up quite a bit, but after that tonight, I think you have to mix that defense up a bit. I'm, pu- I'm putting Gutierrez at the left side. Oh, instead, of, are you pushing Adnan forward then, or are you leaving Adnan out? Either or. Hmm. For, for, further forward on the pitch or for, further forward out of town, Steve? No, no. He, he could be forward on the pitch if he wants to, um, if, especially if, if he's substituted off, he'll be closer to the dressing room. Yeah, if no, he's, uh, I, and it would get changed even faster. No, I think I think uh, I, I would go with Gutierrez in, 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 at left back and Adnan in, in midfield. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. A whistle, I think he struggled the last couple of games. I, he's not quite lived up to what he we hoped he was going to be. Our midfield options though are pretty slim, but I would maybe drop him for this one. Tiber. I know he's much maligned, but I think he had a, a pretty good game tonight. And some of the passes, when just watching it back there, were actually very offensive passes. So maybe go with Baldy, Rose and Tybert in the midfield? Or would you keep Owusu in there? Or would you go 4-4-2? Because obviously we've not got Kava now, so it gives us the option to to maybe mix things up and bring the likes of Dahomey, Malinkovic, some wingers in, Adnan, whatever. Yeah, you could go with Malinkovic as a false 10 if you want to. Yeah, I put and Tybert and Baldissimo behind him. I I would do four. I would do four two three one, and I would have Baldi with either um, Owosu or or Rusty as the two back. Add on the 
the left and Milinkovic or Dahomey on the right uh, with well, Ricketts wasn't in the 18. Is, is he no, got he's, more... he's got an injury. Then Bear, then Bear, Bear, I guess Dahomey on the right, Bear up top. And oh, I guess you got Ray, the Jordy Rain is came on a sub. Yeah. I, I'd still I'd keep him Jordy, on the bench there. I'd go Jordy behind Theo and Milinkovic or Dahomey on the right. I think both Milinkovic and Dahomey earned the right to start from their performances tonight. That That's the issue. So, I mean, if you do go with Ed, Adnan on the left, could we see Dahomey maybe leading the line? I mean, we've seen Milinkovic for Hearts led the, the line for Hearts a couple of times and looked quite good. Yeah, he did do that. Um, for Reina, for me, Reina, is not, he's not really day-to-day. Uh, for me, it's uh, a.m. to p.m., uh, whether he sets <laughs> his alarm at the right time. So that's that's where I have Reina at. Um, but I would the, my guys up front would be like uh, I would do Adnan, Malinkovic, and uh, Dahomey with a bear up front is what I would have. Uh, you're right, probably right. I put I want Jordy in because I think he's a better player than than what they have. But um, yeah, based on the current dynamics, you're, you guys are probably right. I, I totally forgot that Dahomey can play up front. I just he's been kind of pigeonholed as a winger for me in Vancouver, and so. Maybe it would be interesting to see him up top with um, Bear behind him or Bear on uh, on the right uh, and Malinkovic behind uh, behind the center forward. Yeah, that's a good shout. I mean, we'll see what Wednesday brings. As I said, we may do a live YouTube post-game show. We'll, we'll see how we can get that going. I want to just round this bit off talking about the game. Just We're looking at a couple of tweets that we've, we've got in. Twitter was also insane tonight. To, to go through just some of the tweets, because there's so much, and I probably shouldn't have made the mistake of saying, let us know what you want us to talk about in the show tonight. But I'll read a couple of them that I really, really liked. Um, Scott Kyborn at Footy K says, the only bright spot was Christian Gutierrez. Oz Sweeney. Now, here's one for you film buffs. If you could sum up that game in a movie, what would you pick? He went for Clockwork Orange because you can't take your eyes off it. There have been a few Whitecaps games over the years that I feel you need to be like Clockwork Orange and have your eyes pried open to be able to watch them. But, I mean, any movie kind of sums up what what you might think that game was tonight? It's a mad, 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 mad world, maybe? I can't remember the name of it. Um, What was it? It was a David Lynch movie. But it was a movie basically... uh, What was that movie for Hollywood? I can't remember now. I, I, I'll Google in a second. Well, I, I, I'm a big David Lynch fan, so I like, we talking Mulholland Drive or? Mulholland Drive, that's it. I was thinking about it like, a, what, what is that street or whatever? Mulholland Drive, because honestly, by the end of it, I had no idea what, what happened. And it was completely like, so, so, yeah. so it was. By the I end of like, it, I still what? had no idea of what had happened, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, that's where I would compare it to. I haven't seen it, that movie in a while. Any of your Star Trek films that you love, Zach, that you'd maybe mention? The Voyage Home? Search for Spock? No, it, it, I mean, it just feels like the Whitecaps are a bit like Dumb and Dumber. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's, more like a, it's more like a really bad comedy that, you know, there's moments where you just laugh even though it's... Dumb know. and Dumber was a good comedy. No, yeah. I know, I know, but... They got away with everything by the end of it. <laughs> they actually won. <laughs> Not like yeah. the Whitecaps. They won. Uh, they, 2020 they MLS Cup champs. <laughs> no, but I guess, okay, the Dumb and Dumber scene, it's more like the Whitecaps. It's like the, the last scene where they, they get approached by the bus. Oh, okay. That's, that, that's, who the white, that, that's who the Whitecaps mm-hmm. are as a, 
you know, organizationally and their ownership kind of, you know, like that's a, I don't know. Well, here's a good one for you. Travalentine says, do we tank next game to drink those sweet TFC tears? Because if Montreal beat us by two goals, TFC are out and it's Montreal that move into the Canadian Championship final. I did say in last week's show, I'd prefer Thierry Henry to get into that final. Yeah, but you can't really celebrate that. I mean, this is not like a last no. game of the season where you, you knock Portland out of the playoffs and let's say Cascadia Cup, right? Where you can actually celebrate something. Like, that, that, that is not something anyone is going to be celebrating. Yeah. Like, um, hey, we, we lost, so TFC doesn't make it. Yay! Like, Question for you guys. Relative terms, which team was more talented, the one that MDS put out years ago or uh, the one that he has now, relatively? Like the Montreal team. Yeah, from years ago. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, the, oh, oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, if you put out that team that lost to TFC and the team that went out tonight, I'd fancy the team that played tonight to beat that team. But I'm talking about relative terms, like, like yeah. you know, from the years, how long it's been and how much talent they had available to, to how much talent is available to the Whitecaps. I don't think I don't think I don't think Serge lets in six goals to these guys. Anyway, some some more quick questions to round this off. Ryan Burns at Authentic Me Thirteen. I like this one. MDS has players that play certain positions at least on an average level, but he insists on playing others in those roles instead. Playing favourites or more showing poor squad management and a bit of incompetence tactically. And if the latter, is he losing the room as a result? I mean, are there players that are better than the players that's on the pitch? Is what he's really getting at. And I guess you're looking at Jordi Reyna as a talented player is better than a lot of the other players out there. I do feel you had to send a message to, to, to Jordi. I've, I've no problem with that. The Like I said, the only, the one position that I'm not a huge fan of that he keeps putting out there is Andy Rose. Only because I don't feel Andy Rose... He, he might be very good on the ball and everything like that. He might have that calming influence, but I don't think defensively, tactically, he, he is that person that the white caps need because they're always under pressure in the box and they need somebody that can handle those crosses and everything like that. So for me, Andy Rose is that guy. So, But in that case, I'm not saying that he's incompetent or he's playing favorites. I just I think he really believes that that's the best player for them in that position. I yeah. just happen to disagree. Him being a center back, if there was a capable, you know, destroying midfielder in front of them, then maybe you got a very good oh, yeah, person to have a big difference. The problem is, is they don't have that. And so Andy Ro- Rose is going to be exposed as like the uh, past center backs have been in the past, in the last few games this year. Uh, we got quite a few messages of folks saying, is the MDS's time up and has he lost the room? So, I mean, that seemed to be a general consensus of the night. A couple of tweets here from Angus Walker. Appalling defending on the first goal. The players chasing back all went towards the player with the ball. They should have trusted Cornelius to deal with it and picked up the other players coming in. They were totally unaware of the impact players around them. He feels Tiber has got to go. I've always defended his chasing, but he's either slowed down or been found out. He doesn't get anywhere near a player now before the ball has gone. He should have been a key player for a high press. That was his primary use, but he's just invisible now. Baldissimo was still awesome though, man of the match for me. Him and Milinkovic had good games. The homie and Nerwinski looked more useful when they came on than either Godoy or Abuso. Hard to disagree with any of that. 
Like, like when you talk about players like who are like should be playing or you know better or whatever. I think Jordy Reyna and the Colombian are two players that that should be for their talent should be doing enough in training to prove that they're worth yeah. a starting place in the coach. Yeah, Fr- Freddie especially because we know what Freddie can do in this league. We know what he can do with the Whitecaps because we've seen it. And I mean, do you give him the run out with Cava being suspended now? Because if you don't, I think that's very, very telling as to exactly where MDS sees things. But yeah, last couple of things here, just to round this off. Bruce Russell is concerned about Cava's temper and how costly that might be for the Whitecaps. And I think that is a valid concern. And I think that is something that MDS was kind of hinting at after the game as well. Let's just finish on this. Peter Hicken. He he wants our best 11s for the Whitecaps right now. If everyone's available, who do we put out as our best 11? And I think we know Cripo's the goalkeeper, so we've got that. Without Cripo, I we've covered Hassel, who's probably the guy that gets the start. I, I would go... I think four two three one, as Zach said. Bikel's close to getting back fit. I wouldn't put him in at right back though. I would keep Jake at right back. I'd go with Ranko and Godoy in the middle. I'd, you'd have to go with Adnan at a left back if you're going for the best eleven. And then Uwuso and Bikel. I'd love to see what they could do as the, your two number sixes. But the way that Uwuso's been playing, I'm quite happy with Baldissimo and Bikel in as the number sixes. And then my leading the line would still be Kava for me. Behind him, despite what I've said about Reina, I would have Reina. And then Milinkovic and Dahomey on, on either flank. I think that is your strongest 11 that you could put out there. Yeah, I, there's not very much there I could disagree with. Um, uh, the centre-backs, I would say you could pick and choose two out of the three. I think Cornelius has shown enough that he can be considered as a rotational, but the two that you picked are probably fine. Um, I'm trying to pick a part where you're – and the only other thing I would say is that um, if you're convinced that Adnan is your one of your best attacking players, I would put him at left wing because I think Gutierrez at left back is better than Malinkovic is at one of the winger spots, even though Malinkovic has shown a lot in the last few games, more than I expected. And Zach gives a thumbs up. He agrees. So that is it for talking about Montreal and Vancouver for now. We're going to turn our attentions to more Whitecaps chat in the next two parts. And in the next part, we're going to bring you some snippets from our media roundtable that Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster had on Thursday. And then we're going to chat about that and unpack some of the things he said in part four. So we're going to be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFT Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the first of tonight's three of a kind selections. From Cork, Ireland, the Frank and Walters, with their debut single, Happy Busman, released in 1992, reached number 49 in the UK singles charts, and it also featured on their debut studio album, Trains, Boats and Planes, that was released in October 1992 and went on to reach number 36 in the UK album charts. Now, for anyone new to the show, our three-of-a-kind selection is at the start of parts three, four and five, we're going to play a song, and each song is going to be linked by something. Your job over the next couple of parts is to try and work out A, what the link might be, and B, if you're able to get it by the end of the second song, what might the third song be that kicks off part five? Any ideas of this episode's link from that first song? You'll get another clue at the start of part four. But we're going to be turning our attention back to football now, back to the Whitecaps, and the man that is currently driving the Whitecaps bus is sporting director and CEO Axel Schuster, and the German solidified his position at the club this week as the Whitecaps announced on Thursday a new organisational alignment, which was going to include a new senior leadership group. In short, it reads like being another committee, a five-person committee, which will be led by Schuster, will also feature COO Rachel Lewis and Head of Media Communications Tom Plastaris, and the club is also going to be adding two new senior leaders later on this year, a new Chief Revenue Officer and a Chief Marketing Officer. We're going to chat a little bit about that in the next part, but for the rest of this part, I'm going to bring you some snippets from a media roundtable that Axel Schuster had with some local media on Thursday afternoon. Now, for those of you that subscribe to AFTN's Extra Podcast, we brought you that in full on Friday, the full 48 minutes from the roundtable. If you're not a subscriber yet, head over to aftn.ca to find out how you can remedy that. It costs $30 a year or $3 a month. You'll get a load of extra podcasts over the course of the year, and you'll be helping to support AFTN in the process. But what I wanted to do in this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show was bring you some of the most pertinent points of that roundtable discussion. And we'll bring you that now, and then Zach and Steve will rejoin me in part four, and we'll kind of unpack some of the stuff that Axel had to say. There's certainly a a lot to talk about here, as Axel touches on a, a whole host of topics, the schedule, trades, transfers managing the COVID situation, the immediate future of the U19s, and lots more as well. So go grab your favourite hot beverage, a chocolate digestive, sit back and enjoy some words from Whitecap CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster. When the sale of InBomb went through, uh, you guys have talked about how uh, it's difficult to replace him because of the coronavirus environment. Um, so my question is, you know, knowing what the sort of situation in the world was, why there might not have been plans in place to acquire someone, you know, around the same time of the sale. So you did have that replacement body in midfield, or was that something that you always wanted just to push until next season? No. 
no, no, in if there would be no virus and and the world would be normal normal um i think uh we we would we would evaluate the situation a little bit different um now of course uh with the knowledge um that um if the player is for example coming from south america that um it is more likely that he plays only a small number of games um and cannot help in a lot of games and and there is an additional piece and i haven't brought that up before because i was now confronted confronted with that one two times if you are not now signing a player and even if he if he if the visa process would be easy because maybe he so he comes from a EU country or he would come from korea then then we have the same we we are sharing with the player that that the world for us in the next months looks way special so and there are players that uh, have different options and then they say uh, okay what does it mean we relocate we are under protocols in quarantine maybe in quarantine until christmas so these are all things where we also have sometimes get an answer like mm, okay um yeah um maybe maybe we discuss in december for for your next season but uh to tell my family now i leave tomorrow and i'm in quarantine until christmas is it's not looks not like uh uh my most favorite option so we all we we all have all of that things in our mind and of course it can be that there is the one option that is the best fit for us and we do it tomorrow. But it can also be that we get a sense that we can get a better player or the better fit in, in, in the winter break or in the European winter break and in our seasonal break. And then we will wait because, uh, uh, as I said, um, if we look at the process that uh, Ranko went through from Serbia or Uvuzo went through, um then then if we if we have if we, if it would cost us the same time uh, i don't know if the player can play any game just kind of following up then on what jj said i mean if that's the situation surely then looking to bring a player in from within mls from within the canadian premier league because then they don't have the quarantine because they're already here would maybe make a lot more sense this club i know you can't speak too much for what's happened in the past but this seems to be a club that is never able to get the deals done within MLS. It's like every season, coaches I've talked about, they want to add more MLS experience. We've never been able to get the deals done. But you look around the rest of the league and trades are getting done all over. I mean, is that just a conscious decision that the club aren't looking to do that because it's too expensive? No, I, 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 don't, I don't see that a player within the league is more expensive than a player outside. So every quality has its price. And, and of course, a, a trade is a, is a different transfer business. But um, the point is, uh, and it's exactly one of this, and I will not share any more detail, but we spoke with one player and he said he will not come to Vancouver <laughs> under, that, under the, the actual situation that if he leaves his club right now, he is in the quarantine until Christmas. So... Yeah, so um, do we want to force a player to come? Because we still can do the trade, I know. Uh, we, could, we could only do the trade and the player has to do it. But do you think that that is the right player that can help us if he already has said to us, I will not come because I'm, I'm away from my family. And you have to know that 
beside of two other clubs, all other clubs are living a normal life. All the players in the other clubs have a total normal life. They go home, they are together with their families, they have no issues with travel, coming back, quarantines, all of that. So these are things that, that we, we have, we are dealing with right now. So I will never force a player that says no, because I don't believe that, that he will help us and will have the right mindset. And, uh, and, and it's not right if we would sign a player here in Canada that there's no quarantine. So first of all, there's always a 14 days quarantine, MLS quarantine, 10 days, uh, because he has to come under our testing protocol. But, uh, but it is not about only signing a player. So it is not only about finding another player. We have enough players. Um, the player that we sign also have to help us now and in, in, in long term. So um, I don't see us uh, in a rush because we have not 10 injuries and, and cannot even play and have not enough players. We still have enough players. Um, our players uh, uh, still have space to improve and to do better. We, we made a first step with, with, uh, with, uh, in the last game. So we made the first step and still we saw a lot of space for us to grow and to develop and to do better. And, and it is about that. And, and um, then, yes, if there is the, this one right player where we say, okay, if he would be here, he can help us as soon as he is out of this uh, integration quarantine. And, and then he is also a good fit for the next season. Yeah, okay, we do that. And, and of course... The price has also to be right because uh, uh, there are also some more parties because not all, every club wants to, to, to transfer a player. That's, that's also a point. And, and um, we, we are open to pay a fair price. We are open to pay good money. So it's not about uh, spending not big. But as I always said, uh, that, that we are having a little bit an issue right now uh, should not be an advantage of another club that we overspend at some point. I guess, I, I, so much of this, I guess, is hypothetical then because we don't know what's happening with the schedule, whether you will be relocating, whether there'll be any more games in Vancouver. But if all the games were to be played in the US, surely if someone's already in the US, there wouldn't be any quarantine issues in that case. Yeah, first, first of all, there are quarantine issues because every player has to go through a two-week quarantine to, to join the team. But um, but there are there are other things we we are creating a bubble. So so uh, if we go to the US, uh, it, it is we we still want to follow some protocols that that are safe for us because we are not living at home. We are not together with our families. So so we are living in a hotel. So there there it the the, the situation is not the same like for the players in in Portland. Um, so. Um, and there are a lot of restrictions. And by today, we don't know because uh, you're right. A lot of things are in the air and it's hypothetical because uh, uh, you all know that our, uh, our absolute most favorite solution is to find a solution with the federals that we can go in and out for every game. Um, and that would allow us to stay here in Vancouver. So with all of that in the air, um, yeah. If, if, if the world will change and the situation is different, I will, not, I will not say we are not going for a trade or we are not doing that. And maybe the world changed also with the player we were already speaking with. But, but by today, uh, yeah, uh, we don't know and, and the players don't know and players want to know. Sticking on like the, the player recruitment side and whatnot, but like taking a step back, you know, you, it's almost a year since you've been hired. Um, I guess, what are your macro thoughts on the roster and some of the players and some of the 
some of the moves that you've made so far over your first, you know, almost a year? Yeah, my general thoughts about that is that unfortunately we are not able to show all of that what we had in our mind because um, the club made the decision um, to 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 make a restart and to change things. We we decided about building a, a culture and and to to um, define what are the basics of our games are. So we defined the four cornerstones. We also decided to 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 um, become more a development club to to focus. Uh, um, not only, but also on young players, and and that's what we did. We have the youngest team in the league. We have the youngest team in the league. We had that from the first moment on, and in the same time, we are rebuilding and and wanted to change the, our approach and and uh, to build a culture of game. And uh, if you do that, and um, you then have a period of time from from uh, middle of March until uh, beginning of September, where you never have a period where you can train for eight days in a row. This is very complicated because you cannot develop players and you cannot develop a style of game if you are sitting in your condo in front of a screen. Um, so this was for sure not ideal for us. Uh, it's not an excuse for for losses. We could play every every single game that we have not won and even those some of the games we won like last uh, Saturday we could do better and and we are on that and and we 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 will always try to improve our players and our game but um it it is tough for me to to make a uh, uh to make a consideration uh evaluation um of this year because uh um, we were very limited with our tools to do that, what we had in our mind. But uh, I think uh, um, uh, with, with um, the open DP spot and the possibility to sign uh, uh, also uh, three young DPs uh, next January and the, the open DP, DP spot to sign whenever we want and, and in the same time still having some additional cap money uh, I think we, we, we have some good ideas where and how we can improve and where we need some additional tools for our game. And, and as I said, we, we want normally, we want also always go from year to year. And after a year, we want to, to sit down and think if we, if we made a step forward and if we did the right step. And um, if we do that at the end of the year, we have to keep in our mind that this was a very tricky and difficult year, especially for, for a club like us. But in general, uh, um, there's somebody in the waiting room. <laughs> um, especially, especially, uh, uh, oh no, I lost my, my line. But I think uh, we, no, in general, we, we did some steps and I think uh, we see also, we see also some positives in that. And especially with, with some of the Canadian kids we are playing. Uh, I just wanted to, to ask, kind of following on actually really nicely from what you just said. The identity of the team, Kava and Jake kind of talked a little bit about it after the, the game against TFC. From a playing point of view, ideally, what would you like to see as the playing identity of this club? Yeah, our identity should be uh, that, we, that we are brave in our approach against the ball, that we try to, to be on the feet of the opponent and to defend high. Um, and, and it starts with the strikers. And it was, I think, the biggest improvement in our game was to see that Kava comes back into shape after he was not in Orlando and had no regular training with the team. So, so of course, that, that, 
he his his shape after all of that without team training without games was not ideal so to see that he could lead uh, uh our our defensive work uh in in a lot of monuments of the game um and 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 then uh we want then we want to to uh, uh, uh have quick transitions in the game um um but also um find the right tone and tact uh to to have possession and and that's another piece that we improved because i think that was Throughout the whole last games, that was our biggest problem that we didn't felt well and didn't felt comfortable in possession. That uh, we we gave the ball away too, too too quick, and and that led to the fact that uh, that we had a lot of pressure onto our goal because the opponent had too much possession. Um, and a good example for that was uh, our one zero because we we kept possession for a long time. We we uh, passed the ball around. We 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 saw that that there was no space to to go deep, so so we passed back and and rebuilt and and at the end we we found the right player with uh, Ali and we could bring him in a good position and it was a good cross from him and and we scored. So, um, but uh, again, we now we finally had eight days to prepare things. We had all players there. Uh, of course, it is also if you play along a lot of young guys, it's also a question of uh, confidence and and. It, I, I, I hope that this game helps us um, because guys see that, that things work out. But uh, between you and me, there was a lot of things we have to improve uh, in with our uh, defending mentality against the ball because we still give, gave away too much shots. And, and, and um, that's, that's a piece where we have to work on. But, uh, of course, it's always easier and better to work on things after you, you have a win and, and, and to go from there. Obviously, with the pandemic, they haven't been able to play games. I don't think anyone's surprised it's the U23 team. But with the pandemic giving you more time, as you said, you told us, I think, back in April, you've got a lot more time to look at some other things was finding a league potentially for the U23 team next year were you able to make any progress on that and is that something we might see in 2021 I hope so uh, I really hope so um, of course we 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 beside of the first team and we speak so often about the first team and we forgot about our our youth teams that are also very important for us we are dealing also with a lot of problems with them uh, MLS Next uh, was announced uh, earlier this week, and, and MLS Next is uh, is a border crossing league for the U15 and U17, and and everybody knows that we will not be able to particip participate in these two leagues uh, um, un until things will change, and and I think uh, it's I don't know anything, but but I think everybody has the same opinion that will not change until the end of the year, so. Um, um, so that means uh, we we have to look for alternatives to to find some possibilities to have some games with the academy kids because all of that what I said about our first team and of, of about building and developing players it's 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 the same with our youth teams so if I I I, I already had some conversations also with uh, with uh, clubs in Europe that they say. This pandemic even hits the youth players harder than the professional players because they are losing one year of education and, and, and development. So, so we are speaking with um, uh, BC Soccer to find some solutions. And in general, we, we changed a little bit our setup 
So we will anyway want to participate with two teams uh, on a local level in future. So um, um, there, we have the U15 and U17 on MLS level, but we will play with a U16 and a U19 on the local level. And the U19 will participate in the local men's league and the U16 in the local U17 league. So at least we have two teams where I, I'm, I'm, I feel very good that they have some competition. And, and with, with that said, with, uh, said that, uh, with a U19 that plays in a local men's league, we also have an option for players older than U19 because uh, we, only, we, are the, we are the team that restricts ourselves. But of course, you're allowed in the, to play in the local men's league with world elder players as well. And then, yeah, everybody is, is working on finding a platform and MLS as well and building a platform. Um, MLS wants to build a platform for U23. Um, the, the calendar should be aligned to the, to the MLS calendar. So means it will not start before 21. And in the same time, we all know that um, with the pandemic, uh, there is a lot of things in the air and hypothetical. Um, and, um, and if not, then, then we will... We will again uh, look for a known solution for this group um, because uh, I never get tired that I think also in respect on, on, on building a squad for 26, the most important things is that the players that are in an age that they are, are potential players for the squad of 26, that they need uh, minutes, they need a real competition time, they need games, they need to get stressed, they, they have to learn uh, situations on the field, to adapt to situations, to react in the right time, to react in the right way. And, and we, had, we had such moments and, and we were discussing that as, after the Orlando tournament. We are now playing a lot of young Canadian kids and, 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 and we won against Toronto with, with eight Canadians on the pitch, but, but we have some of them that are doing quite well now have not played a competition for two years and and that's that's crazy so um um and uh and and it's so much about adaptation to the game and you can learn so much out of other competitions so there was a moment in our game in orlando against san jose um more or less in in the last minute of the game uh where where theo bear went to a, to a challenge and then the ball um, goes to San Jose and there was a moment where Pat Metka tried to stop the attack of San Jose with a foul to get a yellow card. But he didn't execute it well. And, and this is something that you only learn if you play and play and play to execute that well and to do it in the right moment in the right, with the, with the, yeah, with the, in the right style. And, and, and he was so sad and disappointed about himself that he was not even able to, to get that done. And, and then we found out he hasn't played since the USL, USL times of our club. So, so that's not helpful. So, so that's a main topic for us and also a main topic now for Veni Satini um, to work on that, um, to find platforms where we have competition and hopefully, hopefully this, we, we win against this virus soon and we play, can play on the competition platforms that we all have right now in our mind and we are building since one year. Axel Schuster there covering a whole host of topics and a lot to unpack there and that's exactly what Steve, Zach and myself are going to do in the next part and we will be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. 
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second of tonight's three of a kind selection. And we're going way back to the 60s for this one. 1966, one of my all-time favourite bands, The Monkees, with a song from their self-titled debut album that was the classic, the iconic, Last Train to Clarksville. Still sounding fresh as a daisy 54 years later. And that's something I I find a lot uh, about the Monkey songs. I know they've been kind of much maligned, especially back then when folk found out they didn't play their own instruments and they've always kind of played second and third fiddle to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones from that era. But for me, they're just such an exciting band. Grew up loving the TV show. We've talked about this before in the show. Steve's a a big fan of it as well. And I I think one of their strengths is you listen to their songs now and so many of them just sound fresh. They could be written today. They've just got a great sound, a great beat to them and just so, so enjoyable. Always happy to get some monkey songs included in the show whenever I can. So as I said, that was the second of our Three of a Kind selection tonight, Last Train to Clarksville. Following on from the song that we kicked off part three with, The Frank and Walters and Happy Busman. Have you worked out what the link might be yet? If you have, what do you think we might be kicking off part five with? Find out soon. But for now, we're going to get back to talking Whitecaps and we're going to unpack a little bit of what Axel Schuster was talking about in the last part there in his media roundtable on Thursday and also to to cover the news of the organisational restructurement that the Whitecaps announced the same day inside their front office. So I'm sure you've got quite a lot to to say on this, Zach, especially around the the reorganisation. So let's kick off this part with your thoughts on that. Uh, Can I read something from a a Facebook post of a fellow Scotsman? Uh, so, so David Smith said this in uh, the Whitecaps fan discussion on, on Facebook about, uh, about some of, some of the stuff that's going on, both on the field and off the field, which I think is, we, we can discuss or add to this discussion. Uh, he says this, uh, we have no preferred formation. We have no continuity in starting 11. We have no discipline. We have players that just go and get changed after being substituted. We have almost no investment after selling a miracle player in Davies. We have horrifically bad turf. We have unaccountable ownership. We have endless social justice campaigns, but no acknowledgement of genuine issues in the club's past. We have no legitimate DP quality players. We have no plans for a proper stadium. We have a completely disenfranchised supporter base. 
Basically, we have a lot of problems and not too much hope. I think, unfortunately, we'll be sold and moved to another city, most likely in the States, within five years. Something will rise out of the ashes in the CPL. It's just sad. Um, I think wow. that this... I think that this this uh, this announcement uh, this week, uh, the timing of this. Oh, let's talk about the timing before we talk about the content. The timing mm-hmm. of it is is simple. Uh, the Whitecaps are part of a marketing soccer league, and this is simply a, a marketing a marketing move. Yeah, Steve just put up a picture. Yeah, it's rearranging the the, the deck chairs on the Titanic, uh, as many people have posted about. Um, but uh, no, this this is. Uh, this is all about the timing is all about marketing because September 14th or 15th or 16th, one of those dates is the date of season ticket renewals or the uh, opt out date for the few people or the droves of people <laughs> who still have season, ticket, season tickets to decide if they're going to keep them for next year. Um, and so that's what, that's what this is. It's to make it look like they're actually doing some stuff and engaging. Zach, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I I have to stop you there. Did you not read the release? This is about the fans. What screams more about fans than a new chief revenue officer and a new chief marketing officer? That's got fans written all over it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. And, And again, that's for the whole... People don't want to hear about new people coming in unless the people who are perceived to be the problem are moving out. And that, and Bob Narduzzi still has a job with the Vancouver Whitecaps. So you know that the other people who have, who are at the heart of why things are the way they are and how they function, they're not moving on either because they're, you know, allegedly related to, to people higher up uh, and they've been serving so long at the club that, uh, you know, they're, they're never going to be replaced. When I, when I got the email with the press release and I was reading through it, and it said, oh, it's, it's reorganizing, there's going to be new faces. And I was like, oh. And I, ex- I genuinely expected it to announce that certain people were moving on. But no, we're just kind of consolidating it. And now we're having a committee under the committee. Is that how it is? Axel's spearheading it. And then you've got Rachel Lewis, Tom Plastaris from the, the media side. You've got the two new faces that's coming in, but they're going to be people with a proven track record. So there's that. But, I mean, that, that message that you just read or from Facebook, it's, it's so, well, it's so true, first of all, but it's so damning. And when you hear it put like that, someone messaged me tonight and said, next time you speak to Axel... Can you ask him, what are you doing as a club to woo back all these people that have cancelled their season ticket holders? Because they're not seeing anything that is making anyone want to change their mind. Well, previously, now Axel might have changed this or Panis might have changed this or whatever. Previously, Michael, literally their approach, what they've said to supporters in meeting, what they've said to individuals in the past is uh, both implicit definitely implicitly and occasionally explicitly is everyone is replaceable right which is absolutely asinine when you're an organization and your uh a significant part of your success is tied into how you engage with people 
how positive you make people feel about engaging with who you are and what you do. But that has been their approach. They do not care. They, sir, they have not cared about the people who leave. They, they think that they basically say, if we win, people will come. To be fair, though, I think that is accurate. That is true, though. I agree with that. The people will come <laughs> yeah, back. Totally. Not the, not, the, not the supporters that have left, but definitely the casual fans will come yeah, back. And, and that, that's where it's a two-prong thing. You'll get people, but you won't get people who are invested the same way some of the, the longtime supporters who have disengaged will be. You can't replace those people immediately. No, but I, I'm not trying to stick up for the club here at all. But if I, if I want to be like totally honest about this, they're right with that approach. And let's be honest, if you look at this from a business perspective, as long as you've got that seat filled, if you have it filled by somebody that doesn't care as passionate and isn't going to be as giant pain in the ass to them as the hardcore are, that's a win-win for them. Yeah, but yeah. that's 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 not the way to like that. That's not the way to look at it, Michael. When you're when you, I mean, I, I understand the perspective. Don't get me wrong. I'm but, not saying I agree with it, but that is no, it's a valid but when point. You have, when you have a good relationship with your supporters and you're all pulling in the same direction, your supporters, your these are people who who do so much for free for you, right? That help you, right? For, I mean, the white caps center their whole marketing campaign around these people who did all kinds of crazy things for free for them that helped them then sell what they were selling. Right. Um, and, and the way that they engaged with them, I don't think was always the best. Anyways. Um, the other problem, Michael is, is that if you, if, if you say, Hey, if we just win, people will come, the numbers will be fine, all that kind of stuff. Well, then you actually have to invest into winning. And that's not something that they've been good at. And it's not something that, they're, that, they, um, that their approach has been in line with. And so it, it, it's like laughable to people when, when they engage that or they come to understand that about them. That, hey, they know that if they, if they win, you know, people will show up because that's how sports works in most North American uh, in cities. So like, to me, they're losing on both those fronts. They're, they're, they're not winning. And they've, they have a significant uh, disengagement with the people who've cared the most and invested the most into them for their benefit. Um, and now, Axel comes from a culture where things are different. Axel is speaking about how things could be and, and some positives about that. The problem is that the, the culture he comes from, you're never going to get that here. North America will never be a 50 plus one where membership is real membership. When the white caps set up membership for their club, it was all about making it harder for people to, uh, to stop their season tickets and uh, easier for their, for them in their renewal process in their less work for them in the renewal mm -hmm. process. Right. That's what it was all about. It was yeah. all about being a fit, which is understandable in one sense. But we're never going to have a European kind of style membership. It just it doesn't work in North America at the big, big levels with all this money involved. I think it, you can at some of the smaller clubs, like Detroit City Show and stuff like that. You, you've got San Francisco in the USL League 2 that do stuff like that. But, I mean, it, it's a token name that's thrown out there of, yeah, we're going to look for membership. But, I mean, Schuster, in a recent interview, can't even remember who, who it's with now, had talked that he'd like to see more of fan involvement. 
I, I worry when I hear things like that because you look at someone like Mark Panis who had all these fresh ideas of how to mix things up and then the next thing he's gone. Yeah, look, that's the other part of this. Is it like, oh, we're going to hire these people who are going to do a really great job of engaging fans when they just fired the guy who did the most engaging with fans probably in the entire history of or the MLS era of the club mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, other than maybe like an ambassador like Carl Valentine, you know what I mean? Like it rings hollow and it, and it, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It also, to be honest, and again, not to be, not to be negative for the sake of being negative, but there are names mentioned in this new group that's supposed to be working with the fans that shouldn't be in that group that don't have a good relationship with fans and don't belong there. And that's, that's the simple truth of it. For me, it's the, this whole like uh, com- subcommittee or whatever they want to call it, lower committee. It's it, for me, it's essentially from what it looks like to me, it's another buffer zone to protect the higher ups um, from getting the blame or whatever you want to call it. Um, it seems like that they just keep hiring. Uh, maybe Mark Pandas was going to be the person and they felt like it, they could get somebody cheaper to be the buffer zone. Mm. Um, so, it, to me, it, to, to me, it's just not. It's 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 something that, like, the announcements are fine. They can even make the announcement, and people talk about, oh, what are the Whitecaps going to do? The Whitecaps just need to win at this point, because Vancouver sports community has proven this year that if you put a winning product, everything will be forgiven, and the casual fan will return. The hockey team proved that this year where for a number of years, I know you guys don't follow it as much, uh, but you can hear people saying, I hate the, I hate the Canucks because they, they were losing. I can't stand them. I'm a, I've been a fan for so long. And this year, because they started winning, made the playoffs one around, everybody's back on the bandwagon. You have people in the streets cheering and celebrating their wins and everything like that after one round. of, Or actually, not even the – they started celebrating before the, they even won the round. So, yeah, this is this is – a proven fact in Vancouver, not the not the hardcore supporters, but the casual fan will return once the Whitecaps start winning. And it's just a matter if when they want to decide they want to start winning. When is it, is it financially viable for them to start winning again where they spend the money? Because I think at this point, they don't want to spend the money because they just don't feel that there's enough there to get people back. Whereas they should be spending money expecting a loss because they've they've clustered it so much in the past that they they should be expecting a loss because they probably made money when they were being cheap and were winning so now they want to be cheap and make money and still win and it's not possible at this point not not with the way mls is going no i mean the whole panis thing i was actually having a discussion with someone today and they said mls didn't deserve mark panis i was like no mls did deserve mark panis the white caps didn't deserve mark panis or understand what they had and it's hard to see how you get rid of someone like that and then you bring in two new positions and you're going to say well we're just kind of streamlining it taking some of the pressure off axel or whatever but i mean if if you think about some of the things that axel said in what we played there there's the whole thing about bringing players in, and a winning team on the pitch will get bums in seats. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Despite everything that's happened before, you put a winning team on the pitch, you'll get bums in seats. They don't seem to be trying to get a winning team on the pitch by 
spending money. They don't look like they're going to be doing it this window. Axel's talking about, well, there's all the quarantine and then players might be away from their families till Christmas. And what he meant by that, it came out wrong, but he didn't mean they're going to be quarantined to Christmas. It could be if the Whitecaps win the MLS Cup, they're going to be in it until December. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but that was what he was meaning. But the, you talk about quarantine, all these other teams can get quarantines done. TFC are talking about bringing a guy over from the UK, and he's already quarantining just now because they're thinking ahead. And they have a chance to be there till December. Yes. Um, the other thing, uh, the, 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 the one thing about them not bringing anybody in, like, uh, and, and we, we were questioning before about MDS, will you make it to the, I think previous weeks we've mentioned it before. Too. I think that the only way MDS leaves right now is if it's a mutual uh, agreement that he leaves. I don't think they'll fire him because right now they have a built-in excuse for their losses with COVID. Yeah. That's their excuse this year. They can use MDS next year. And then the year after, <laughs> they can use the other committee. So they, is, they're, they're lining up their excuses for years to come right now. At this how point. is COVID an excuse for losses? It's not. I'm just saying that they will use it. No, but they can say, well, we, we couldn't take our full team to Orlando, so we lost out on some points there. We've got to, we can't play any games in Canada in the second phase, probably, which will come to in a sec. Yeah, can't train properly. There was disruption of training. In a lot of cases, that is very valid. Other teams, you look, and we can really only base this on the Canadian teams just now. Toronto and Montreal seem to be doing pretty well with all the same things that Vancouver have had thrown at them with regards to quarantine, bringing players in, all this kind of stuff. And we'll talk about the schedule very soon that, that's coming up for this next phase. If the, the question that I asked Axel, which I think is very valid, every other team seems to manage to get trades done within MLS. We can't do it. And Axel spoke about one player who simply didn't want to come to Vancouver. There's going to be loads of players around the league that don't want to come to Vancouver, either because of possible quarantine issues with family stuff, but also because of the reputation that Vancouver has throughout the league with players that have moved on and the fact that it's not a winning team on the pitch. Who wants to come to that just now? No, I, well, think it's more, I think it's more valid that... The reputation is the more reason that they don't want to come to Vancouver yeah. and stuff. Because the thing is, everybody top. knows that once once this next game is over, that they're going to be uh, uh, heading down to America to play most of their games at that point. A, a couple of things. I, I forgot I forgot about the players not going down for, for the Orlando tournament. So for, I guess, the Orlando tournament, that makes sense. S still, COVID is not an excuse for me. Uh, it, it also, not an excuse is uh, – it's inexcusable what they do with – I mean, I'm happy for Baldissimo. Don't get me wrong. But from, like, an overall club approach and execution and stuff, you, you can't get – like, you can't get rid of Inbom Wong, which feels like it was that was the plan. We're going to keep him while he's a young DP. Then we'll make money on him. If he does well, we'll make a lot of money. If he doesn't do well, they'll do what they did now. They make a little bit of money on him. It, it, it's totally inexcusable that they have not brought in a player of a similar caliber, quality, uh, or have anyone lined up you know, by the looks of it either. Yeah, it doesn't like even have to be the, it doesn't even have to be the same quality. The, it, just a, another body in the midfield yeah, where there's a warm body. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if it's in the part you just played or not, Michael, 
Axel was just like, oh, no, we have enough players. It's not like, we, you know, we can't feel the team and blah, 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 blah. It was like, come on, dude. Like, the question is, why are you not replacing quality with quality? Like, that, that is the, the, the real heart of this. That's why people are not, like, unimpressed. And you can't play the difficulty of the situation with COVID card either when other teams are getting it done. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, is you're talking about the, uh, like, you, you, we have enough players. I am 100%. I'm willing to put a lot of money on it that Baldissimo was not in their plans as a starter when they came back and everything like that. Yes. And he, they were forced to put him in there. Luckily for them, he's actually shown something, which we all expected him to do, like eventually, whether it was this year or next year, that he's shown something that shows that he can be a starter. But they had no intention of him wanting to him to be a starter. If, if Bikel had got over his injury sooner, Baldissimo probably would not be starting because Bikel would have been playing in the middle. Yeah. So one of the other things, of course, that Axel was talking about was the, the turf aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, a few a couple of things about turf. Number one, uh, I think in previous week's show, we were talking about how players from the Whitecaps have told supporters in the past they, uh, they would be fined uh, if they spoke publicly negatively about the turf. Uh, I might have insinuated or I might have come across that I was talking about that they had been fined. My understanding is no players have been fined by the Whitecaps. But it is still true that the Whitecaps threatened to find their own players if they expressed their real feelings about the turf, which virtually every player, oh no, every player I've talked to has talked about how bad the surface is at BC plays. The other thing about it is Axel, Axel's discussion on it is like, uh, yeah, it's not a big deal for bringing in players. Obviously, they'd rather play on grass, blah, blah, blah. But then, but then in the same breath, it's like, it's an advantage for us because we are used to it and other people are not, which lets you know that it's not good. No, like it's just, it's not, it's not a, it's not a helpful thing. It's not a good thing for this club in that long list of things that, that I read there from David Smith earlier, right? Not having your own stadium with grass is an issue for the Whitecaps. Is it their number one issue? No. Is it an issue? Yeah. Uh, it still feels like they should have went into MLS saying, this is our stadium for now. We do, we do have a plan. We do have a, a long-term desire. Whereas what happened when, when, people, when they went to MLS, they said, now we're not going to talk about this anymore. There's no plan. There's no future. We're, it's BC Place only. Which feels in line with who they are, but it does not feel in line with a, a, a football club that cares about getting better and being the best they can be. Last thing about some organisational changes then this week. Craig Dalrymple's moved on. Vani Sartini has taken on the new role of Director of Methodology. Does that cement MDS's position for next season or weaken it? Because he's lost his assistant, but it's one of his guys that's now the link between the academy and the first team. I mean, we don't know the ins and outs of the contract, right? Is it just... He's essentially reassigned, and the, the length of his contract is the same, which you would presume is the yeah. same as MDS's. So, well, they said they're going to they're going to appoint a new first team coach. Yeah, I, I, it, it, I'm surprised. I mean, we talked about it before, maybe off the record, but I'm I'm a little surprised Craig Dempel, Craig Dalrymple lasted as long as he mm. did. Well, from what I've heard, I've heard from people that he wanted to leave earlier, like oh. he was actually looking to move on, and 
And, yeah, I was told two years ago that, that there was possibilities of him moving on, and then he ended up taking on the interim role when Robo went. Yeah, and then he just stayed on for a little bit longer. But I think he wanted to do something because he did that French cert, uh, certificate in France or something yeah, for coaching the, the or very, development. Top and so we wanted to, now, yeah. He, yeah, so he wanted to put that into effect somewhere else. Yeah, but Michael, it wasn't mentioned in the press conference, but do you know if Danny Lenarduzzi's, uh role with the U setup has changed at all or been augmented by this? As far as I know, it's still the same. Right. I can find out though. Last thing we'll mention then in this part is the next stage of the schedule has come out. It's a three-game phase because MLS is still trying to sort everything out with the Canadian teams. For the Whitecaps, what that means is three away games. September 19th, next Saturday, away at Real Salt Lake. A few days later, on the Wednesday, the 23rd, away to LAFC. Then on Sunday, the 27th of September, away up home to Portland at Providence Park. What? Yes, I'm just trying to test my acting skills there. The Whitecaps, we, we've always wanted this. The Whitecaps have claimed Piggy Park as their own. There'll be no Timbers Army Tifo there, I'm sure. They'll put all that away. The crowd noise that will be getting pumped in is definitely going to be the Southsiders and Curver Collective. There would not be a Timbers Army crowd noise pumped in. The Timbers, I'm sure, will have to use the away locker room for this one. I think they do, actually. I think they will be able to put that into effect, actually. That'll be hilarious. I'd love to even just go down for that, apart from the riots and the bad smoke that you can't breathe in. If it's anything like the the NHL, like the uh, like they were playing in Edmonton, yeah. the Oilers had to use the visitor dressing rooms in, in the, their own in the Flames in the Oilers one, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the the uh, the Timbers locker room is a lot nicer than the away locker room. In yes. Portland. Now, if the Whitecaps score, do they get a piece of the log? Oh, could we start a new tradition? Maybe they could just bring back the pole and have the. Will it be Timber Jock? Climb the pole. I'm sure we're going to Timber be talking Clinton. about some white caps law after this. Timber Jock. Timber Jock. Do you remember Jock. when Timber Jim used to climb the pole? He, in, the, in the south end, the opposite of the TA. Oh, I thought you were saying after, after the game. Is no, climbing. they used to have, a, he used to have a, like a lumberjack pole like you'd see at the Pioneer or whatever. I don't remember he'd climb that. it and he'd pull up a drum to the top and like lead a chant from on top of the... It was it was crazy back in the day, but he was climbing poles after the game too, right? Well, I don't know about that. Well, private business, I guess. <laughs> it's a it's an interesting one, and I think it is setting out what is going to happen later on. To to anyone that doesn't know, Montreal are going to be playing at New York Red Bull Stadium. Now, the all the murmurs had been TFC were going to do that as well, but no. They are going to Pratt and Whitney Stadium, home of Connecticut, home of Connecticut NCAA Division One side, and it's it got me thinking that if if TFC can play uh, an NCAA college stadium, because obviously it's got all the the setup for cameras and broadcasting and everything like that, why have the Whitecaps picked Portland, especially when they're picking Portland? I understand they couldn't probably get into Seattle because of the Seahawks. So, I mean, that's that's fair enough. 
But you had, and I talked about this before, you've got the likes of possibly playing in Birmingham at Civic Stadium. Steve's showing the money signs. You think it's money? Probably got a really good deal from MLS. Yeah, I think they mm. probably get a good deal from MLS. If, if we're going to move, though, why would we want to go into a place where they're declaring riots a lot of the nights where you can't breathe the smoke? Um, it's just, it's a strange one. I'm wanting to ask about this properly once it's announced that that is going to be our permanent home for the rest of the season. How You can't play in that air quality right now, right? Obviously, no. sorry, presumably the fires will go down and the air will get yeah, better. It's but... two weeks before we're there, and if we've still got this air quality in two weeks, I think we've got a lot to worry about here, never mind down there. Well, they cancelled the, the Thorns game. Yeah, that got called off. The Niners game in San Francisco was close to getting called off as well. If it had reached 200 air quality, it was going to go, and it was 194. They ended up losing today, so I kind of wish they had just gone up that extra six thing to get the game called off. But, I mean, it's some, it is a, a, a genuine concern that they're going to have to watch, but I would think in two weeks it, it should have subsided by then. There's rains come in and stuff like that. It's just, it's farcical. And the the big question I've got about this is, MDS or Axel, I can't remember which one, said they fully expect the full complement to be available for these three games. That was before Cava setting off. So like Cava, Freddy, all these guys that didn't travel to Orlando when it was in a, a safer bubble are now expected that they're going to be available for travelling around uh, America, which is surprising in itself. But then what happens at the end of this game against the Timbers? Because if the Whitecaps come back into Canada, you're quarantining for two weeks. So you're losing two weeks training. So already you're a step behind all these other MLS teams. And you can't then expect the players to have gone off on this trip and then say, oh, by the way, this is now our home. You're not coming back to see your family for a couple of months. How, how is this going to work? Yeah, I don't know. They, they could treat it as an extended training camp, kind of another training camp. Maybe, maybe next year they'll have the training camp all in Vancouver instead of going somewhere. Um, I don't know if they're still trying uh, so to work I, things out with maybe, the governments, but... yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, by then, maybe that's why they only have three games because maybe they think the borders will open up a little it, bit better. It doesn't affect Vancouver, Michael. But do you know how this impacts the Voyagers Cup final? We, we, don't, we don't have a date for that, right? Oh, now that is very, very good point. My guess is they, they should probably schedule it in between the, the final, right after the, the, the CPL plays their final and the but impact play this last game. These games kind of they overlap. I'm mm. pretty sure. I, I got to double check TFC and Montreal schedules, but I know it doesn't work with Vancouver's schedule for it to happen right after. Well, that, that's we don't have to worry about that, Zach. So that's totally okay. I'm just getting Montreal's schedule up actually, because if it's Montreal, maybe TFC and Montreal have to default, and then the, whoever the CPL will be the champion. CPL is done on the 19th. Yeah. And then Montreal play on the 20th, 23rd and 27th like we do. So you'd be looking at playing it after the 27th. I mean, it would give whoever wins the CPL a bit of a rest and time to recover and recuperate. So that's a a big advantage for them. I'm sure they wouldn't be complaining. But then the flip side of that is you've got a team coming in fresh against a team that might be a little bit rusty because they, they have kind of missed out. And yeah, it's the same for TFC. So again, if the quarantine stays at 14 days, it would be 14 days after the 27th before they could play that game. And then 
you have to think they're going to want to get back to MLS action ASAP. Wow, this is just, this is quite a mess, really. Anyway, that's an interesting thing, I think, to, to end our MLS chat on. We're going to be talking CPL in the next part, but before we get to that, it's time for this week's Wavelength. And it's Football Violence Awareness Month here at AFTN. So to celebrate that, we've gone for something a little bit different for this week's show. It's not English punk. It's not French punk like last week. In fact, it's not punk at all. Yes, I know, I'm as shocked as you. No, we've gone back to 1986 for this one. And a nice little reggae number from English artist Tipper Irie. And this is... Football hooligan. Now this is the kid and football hooligan. All riff rap and roughly and walk up and don't tell right people on a football stand. Right now, Tipper, I will assure you, you're wrong. Hey, in the shame and disgrace from the land. Make a tell you about the shame and disgrace from the land. Understand me about the shame and disgrace from the land. Tipper, I will in a shame and disgrace from the land. Cause what a big shame on the country, England. Tipper, I feel wonder myself. Yes. 
Tipper Irie there from 1986 with a song called Football Hooligan from his album Is It Really Happening To Me? Hope you enjoyed that one. I said I wanted to try and mix things up a little bit with this month's Football Violence Awareness Month. So we'll have a few different sounding songs for you. But we're going to be turning our attention to the CPL next, the Island Games out in PEI. And we're going to be back talking that after this. I'm David Edgar and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this final part is the final selection of tonight's Three of a Kind. From 1978, down in the tube station at midnight by English band The Jam, taken from their third studio album All Mod Cons, it went on to reach number 15 in the UK single charts. And I was one of the people that bought that single back in the day, and I still have it. So does you work out what this episode's link is? We kicked off part three with Happy Busman by the Frank and Walters. Kicked off part four with Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkeys. And kicking off this part, Down in the Tube Station at Midnight by the Jam. And the link was... Public Transport. Buses. Trains. Tubes, all various ways to get around by public transport. If you got the link this week, well done. If you didn't, we'll be back with another three of a kind next week. But we're going to move on to the final part of our football chat for this episode. And we're turning our attention away from the Whitecaps, away from MLS, and out east, Prince Edward Island, the Island Games, Canadian Premier League... And what an exciting week of action it has been. The tournament has reached its final four. Cavalry, Forge, Pacific FC and HFX Wanderers have been the last four teams standing. And as things currently stand after this weekend's action, three of the four teams still have a chance to make it to this year's championship game. The only team to be eliminated so far, sadly, Pamadouka's Pacific FC... Two defeats in their first two matches have have seen them adrift at the bottom of the four-team table, unable to catch the team in second and advance to the next stage. It's kind of felt like a, just a little step too far for this Pacific side. They've shown a couple of flashes in their two games to date. Wednesday saw them go down to a 2-0 defeat to Cavalry, and Saturday saw them go down to another 2-0 defeat, this time to Forge FC. 
And despite playing well in that game against Forge, dominating possession, they just couldn't get the goal, they couldn't break down a stubborn Forge defence. Leaves them with no points after their first two games, and just one game remaining of their season before they head back to Vancouver Island. Obviously disappointing to, to bow out of the tournament and to have their season ended, but I'm going to play a little bit of post-game audio now from head coach Pamadou Ka and also from veteran defender Marcel de Jong. Just with a few thoughts covering the game, the elimination, and just the growth and foundations that this group has. Hi, Pa. Hey, Michael. You've got this one game to go on Tuesday. How how do you think you're going to want to approach this? Do you want to give some of the guys that you maybe haven't seen much of a run out or... Do you feel for the integrity of the competition? You you basically have to put your strongest lineup out there. Uh, I, I always play to win, so for me, I'm gonna pick the best guys available to win, and 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 I will not show no opposition disrespect or nothing or the league disrespect. But we own it up for ourselves. Respect to play the right way and put on the strongest team. So for the twenty years I've played football. Integrity is one of the biggest part for me, so I'm playing to win. Simple as that. And tell me a little bit, uh, just uh, now that the official elimination has come, can you give me uh, just a quick overview of what you thought of your team in the tournament? Uh, one uh, game we're left. Not, we're not finished yet. We have another game to play, and then is when we can make evaluation. We still have we still have a game to play for. So, yeah, I mean, but I, yeah, I understand that, but I just, uh, just your thoughts on on your team to date. No, that's why I say I will give my evaluation after the last game. We still, we still have a game to play, so there's nothing to say. We we lost the game, and we created a chance. We could have, uh, we could have stayed in the game, but we gave away the. We lost the game, but we still have one more game to play for. Hey, hi, Marcel. You were with the team, obviously, last year. You've still got one game to go. Pa talked about he's going to evaluate everything after the, the last game. But from from watching last year and from being more involved this year, can you talk a little bit about how you've seen this team grow from last season to this season? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a big, big difference from last year. And... Um, like I want, just want to also put it out there that I'm, I'm really proud of the guys, the way they picked it up. Um, you know, they stepped up. Um, a lot of players in their position would have given up, but uh, I think we all, they all showed character from last year, and uh, you know, they took the chance uh, because it's it's easy to give up, but uh, the guys didn't, and uh, yeah, just really proud of the guys. Um, they um, they showed character, and uh, yeah, so I think. Um, we're on the right track. I think we put uh, Pacific on the map. And, uh, yeah, I think overall, uh, a good, really good tournament. The foundations that the club has right now, I mean, you look at some of these young guys, I know a few of them had played maybe USL with the Whitecaps before or, or elsewhere, but the foundations looks good for going into year three. And I know we're jumping ahead, but we still a game to go. But it does seem like this is a team, if you can keep the core of it together, they're really going to be challenging and even better next year. Yeah, hundred percent. Totally agree. Uh, I mean, I, I said a couple of times in, internally, and uh, I, I feel like we're on the on the verge of of of, of becoming something special. And uh, you can see it; we're almost there. And uh, it's just a matter of uh, of sticking together now. And 
and and learning uh, from what we did wrong and uh, just keep going. I mean, I have all the confidence in the world in our team, in the coaching staff, and uh, I, I just I'm just happy right now. And uh, even though we lost, you know what I mean? It's just like mixed feelings. Pamadou and Marcel de Jong there and I think Marcel's very right in him saying that it's a, a very exciting future ahead for this team. He says he feels they're on the verge of something special and if Pa can keep this core together, make a couple of additions, notably a striker, probably another midfielder, maybe a central midfielder, maybe even a, a number 10 to kind of free up Bustos and take Marco Bustos to the next level as well. Add a little bit more defensive depth. And I, I think this is a team that could be challenging very strongly for the 2021 CPL season, which hopefully will be played in more than just a, a bubble setting. But no matter what that is going to throw at them, you feel that the, this season and the season before has moulded this team into really getting ready for a big, big push at the Championship next year. Of course, there's three teams left pushing for the Championship this year. Halifax Wanderers. You could call them a, a dark horse if you want. I think many people have tipped them to be the surprise package in this tournament. They've certainly lived up to it in their two matches so far. Kicking things off in Phase 2 with a one all draw on Wednesday against Forge. And a very unlucky one all draw that was as well, because... They gave up a penalty to Forge in the second half that was no way, shape or form a penalty. But Halifax dusted themselves down from that and came out with a fantastic performance, well, fantastic first half performance against Cavalry FC on Saturday afternoon, coming away with a 2-1 win against 10-man Cavalry. Two goals in the first half put them up. They were under the cosh a little bit in the second half, but they held on despite a late surge from Cavalry to try and salvage something from the game. That leaves Halifax sitting on joint top with four points from their two games, knowing that they just need a point in their last game against Pacific to reach the championship game. One foot in the final, that's for sure. But let's hear some thoughts now from head coach Stephen Hart after the win over Cavalry FC on Saturday. Just looking at the task ahead and how ready this Wanderers team is for a place in the 2020 Championship game. You've basically got one foot in the, the door now to, to being in the Championship game. I mean, it's only a week ago that you were playing knowing that you guys had to get a win to, to get into this phase of the competition. How has that prepared your group going into this game on Tuesday where you know that a win and that's you in the final? Well, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, we, we, in, 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 in this sport, in all sport, really, you never go into the game thinking, um, I want a tie or I'm not going to win this one. You, you go into the game uh, knowing that there's always a possibility that you can win, but also there's a possibility that you can lose. And as, especially football, as, as you know, um, you know, I've always said it's a bit of a lie. You can play well and lose and you can play poorly and win. Um, but our, our mentality is good. And uh, we, you know, we, we had a little lapse today in the second half. They know it. I don't really have to say anything to them. They know it. And, um, you know, it just cannot be repeated in the next game. I mean, last season, 
already feels like an eternity away. But when when you look back at the journey that this group has come from last season into not knowing what's happening this season to the, the first phase to, to where the team sits today, what's the biggest aspects of growth that you've seen in this young squad? Last year, I think we were a little bit harsh on the team because we... We tied, we tied eight, I think, eight straight games or seven straight games. And, um, you know, a win here and there and we'd have been in the top three. Um, I think if we had won two of those seven games, we'd have been in the top three. And uh, sometimes, you know, when I went back and I look at the performances, we had some good performances. I think the, the, the big difference now is that if you look around the squad, we've had, what, five or six different different people scoring. We've got different uh, number of different players assisting. And that always takes the pressure off the, the, the back line and the midfield. Um, so I think that's been the biggest difference. So some thoughts there from HFX Wanderers head coach Stephen Hart. And there's no doubting that the growth that we've seen in this Wanderers team from last season to this season. But from the very first game, that 2-0 draw with Pacific that saw them take the lead and fall behind and fight back to, to get the point, it showed the battling spirit that Hart has instilled in his team for this season. And all through Phase 1, we saw this team grow and we've seen it grow further now as they got into the second phase. And They're a very exciting team to watch and I'm really looking forward to seeing them reach their potential, whether it's going to be this season or next. I mean, we talked about the, the future foundations for the likes of Pacific and then Valor previously. Halifax as well are setting some really strong foundations here. Four points might even be enough. They might already be in the final, depending on what happens in the other match between Forge and Cavalry on Tuesday morning. That one kicks off at 10am Pacific time. Halifax and Pacific doesn't kick off till 5pm in the evening. A win for Forge over Cavalry, Halifax are already through. A win for Cavalry, and Halifax just need a point. A draw between Forge and Cavalry, and Halifax are also through on the head-to-head tiebreaker. So it's going to take a lot, really, you feel, for Halifax not to be in the final. They are all but there. The main thing that would really derail them would be a a multi-goal and maybe a heavy goal Pacific win on Wednesday evening. And I think going into this tournament, one thing which many people really, really hoped for was that it wouldn't just be a repeat of last year's championship game between Cavalry and Forge. We wanted some new faces, some new blood, especially in the final. Looks like we're going to get that. And that makes the meeting between last year's finalists all the more tantalising on Tuesday morning. Both teams have their own fate in their hands. Cavalry know that if they can get this win over Forge, they're most likely going to be knocking them out, which will certainly be a nice bit of revenge after what played out last year. Cavalry were in this position of needing to win their last match to advance in Phase 1. Just over one week later, they're going to be in that similar situation, but mentally I think that has probably really, really helped prepare the team. Here's what Tommy Fielden had to say about that. Hey Tommy. Hey Mike. The second half performance of your team, I mean, you must take a, a lot of pride from that because they really seem to, to go for it. Was the message at halftime, look, we're going to have to win on Tuesday no matter what, most likely, just go out there and, and see what you can get done in this half? Yeah, spirited, isn't it? Um, I just, 
And I think it was the way we've ended any defeat. Um, if somebody's going to beat us, they do it right to the last minute. We don't lie down. And you've seen that even in the finals when we left everything out there. And what we said at half time was we weren't pointing fingers. We looked at each other and said, oh, geez, we've got ourselves a hill to climb here. But why don't we do it in 15 minute segments and push them back? And why don't we try and make this the greatest comeback ever? So we, we aspired to do it. We almost got it, you know, Tofa Fakunli and credit to him. He's, he's almost got the chance to the end. And um, yeah, we were spirited. And I think when you play like that, you give yourself a chance to keep going. And because that could have been a blowout. You know, they've, they've scored two penalties. They haven't scored on us in open play against 10 men. Um, and if they'd have scored a third and a fourth and fifth, it had got a hell of a thing to, to get back on. Um, and we, we, yeah, we give as good as we got. It feels like no time ago that you were playing a, a game to that you had to win to get into this phase. How much has that prepared your group for a game like this that's coming up on Tuesday? I think I just overheard Elijah there saying, you know, no matter if we're man up, man down, goal up, goal down, we prepare to win. Um, why not? It's a, it's a great incentive. You know, it's, it's knockout football. If this is Champions League football or the Canadian Championship, you win in advance and that, that's it, you know, and, and for us, having lost the final to Forge last year, why not knock them out and not get them to the final this year? I was going to say the same thing. So good luck on Tuesday. Some thoughts there from Cavalry head coach Tommy Pilden Jr. And the battles between Cavalry and Forge have been fantastic so far. From the opening game in the tournament, the two-all draw, all the battles last year, they've been such close affairs. And we touched upon this a couple of episodes ago. These two teams just bring the best out of each other. And I'm expecting an absolute cracker of a match on Tuesday morning. And you just kind of knew that things at some point would come down to a battle between these two teams. Whether it was in the championship game, whether it was to advance the championship game. That's exactly what we've got. Did it feel inevitable? I don't know. But let's hear some thoughts now from Forge head coach Bobby Smyrniotis. Just about this kind of rivalry, if you can call it that, that Forge currently have with Cavalry. You, you touched there about the other teams in this tournament that's kind of come through and, and showed some stuff, but it's now boiling down to you're, you're facing Old Foes Cavalry on Tuesday. It could be the precursor for the championship game once again next Saturday. Just talk a little bit about the rivalry between you two guys. You kicked the tournament off. It was a passionate game. It just seems that you two teams are, are destined to just be going at crunch games in the CPL. Yeah, most importantly, there's a couple of games to go and uh, we just have to focus on uh, what we need and uh, what result we need in the path to try and get us to the finals. We're definitely uh, not there yet, so we'll put our focus uh, to them uh, in the next game and we'll, we'll need a positive result. Um, and that's the most important thing we, we have to look at as a team. You know, we take e each game and approach uh, with a lot of respect. Cavalry is a, a good team. They've showed that over uh, over last year and, and this year. And I think, yeah, if uh, when we meet on Tuesday, it'll be a it'll be a good game. But rivalries take a, take a long time to build. I think uh, you know we've we've jumped the gun on calling things uh, rivalries a little bit here. It uh, it takes some time. I think it was natural in year one that uh, we had that perception because it seemed like we were playing each other every other weekend in the in the last month. Um, but uh, two teams, uh, I think, that respect the, each other's football, uh, two teams that uh, know what they're good at, uh, know what the weaknesses are, just because we've played each other uh, probably twice as much more as we've played any other team in the CPL. So I think that, you know, along with the competitive nature of both groups, you know, 
um, you know, wanting to be winners. I think that just brings a natural intensity into the game. And, you know, maybe that's what we'll see on, on Tuesday. We'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. So we've heard from all the CPL head coaches now, just as they gear up for these final two matches in the phase two of the Island Games. So I'll bring Zach and Steve back into the chat now, just really to, to get your thoughts, guys, as to what have you made of the, the final four matches so far and who are you tipping to make it to the championship game next weekend? The, the, the games have been... The kind of like uh, odd, like just like all the other games have been, like you, you, it's things that you don't expect to happen. Um, especially the cavalry uh, uh, Halifax game, that was the the wildest one probably out of all of them. But they kind of gone the way I expected. Um, I, I cavalry for some reason since the beginning of the tournament uh, haven't really like it's been they've been they haven't been the same team as last year. There's mm-hmm. something missing from that team. So, in the end, I probably do have Halifax and Forge showing up in the final. You know, Steve, I think you bring up something really, really important there. Uh, yeah, all the teams are, are different from last year. And I think when we're talking about specifically about Cavalry, what is missing, I think, is there are a couple of key guys that, that moved on that they haven't – it doesn't feel like they've fully replaced or the guys who were in the squad who were asked to step up haven't – been able to play the exact same role. I think one of the big ones is is Busher, Busher, mm-hmm. Busher, and uh, they haven't really fully been able to place him. I think uh, Elijah's uh, taken on a lot of what he did, but I don't think he's. They've been. I don't think together as a as a side as a team, they've been able to you know fully replicate what they did last year with, without him. Uh, there's obviously a couple other other pe- people who have moved on, but um, in, in terms of you know the final the final four. And where things are at and how they played out, I honestly I didn't expect this to 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 play out the way it has. I honestly just thought it was going to be very similar to last year, where you were going to see a Forge and Cavalry kind of march their way to the final, uh, and maybe almost like back to back finals, um, you know, or back to back finals in years, but also play the last game against each other, and then and then play another game called the actual trophy. Um, which could have made it interesting. Um, but now, going into these, uh, going through the games this week, midweek, it, it, I mean, yeah, there, I mean, other than Pacific and playing a spoiler role, there's so much to play for and things could could break in so many different ways. And the side yeah. that obviously has been the most surprising is Halifax. I was surprised that they, uh, I know that some might argue that they should have got all three points, but I was surprised by their result against Forge and a little bit, uh, also shocked that they're uh, having seen more of it, of their game against Cavalry. Um, but in terms of what I think is going to happen, um, somehow, I know it's uh, I, I, there's there's only a minuscule chance of it happening, right? But I still somehow think Forge and, and Cavalry could they could still meet, right? There's like one scenario. They oh can yeah, meet yep, definitely. If if Cavalry, for example, were to beat Forge one 0 and then Pacific really turn it on and win by a couple of goals against Halifax, then you've got a Cavalry Forge final. I still think that that's, I still have this like feeling like that's going to happen and uh, maybe it won't, but that, I, I really feel that that's, that's going to happen. Otherwise, I think, yeah, it's Wanderers and Forge. And I think uh, the whole of the country outside of Steeltown will be, be, will be cheering on Halifax. 
I mean, the, the thing that Steve raised about Cavalry, they, they started this tournament really strong for the first maybe three or four games, and then they've kind of dipped. And it feels like they went into this tournament as perhaps the most ready team to take to the pitch. And then as the tournament's gone on, the other teams have caught up a little bit. And then it's kind of been more kind of parity. I think, though, like, we've known Tommy for quite a few years now. And his teams, they seem to be able to dig deep and find what they need to do when they need to do it. I know they didn't in the championship game last year. But that one aside, they tend to find it. And I I just have a sneaking feeling they're going to get past Forge 1-0. And and I think Halifax will beat Pacific and then we're going to get a, a Cavalry-Halifax final. And as long as Cavalry can keep all the, the players on the pitch, I think my tip is for Cavalry to go on and win it, actually. But Halifax would be refreshing. And as long as it's not a Cavalry Forge final and we've got something new, some team new in there, then I think that's the good thing. And I just want to... Well, we, should, we should talk about Pacific a little bit, obviously. Yeah. Um, I know, I know a lot of people might be disappointed, especially specific fans that you know the, that they have been kind of outclassed. Um, some might say, uh, although they had their chances here and there in the last two games. Yeah, they played well. I think the, I, I think I think the most defining moment and most important moment for them was that uh, game against Edmonton. And I know against it's against Edmonton, um, but uh, during that game, it didn't look like they were going to pull it out, and they mm-hmm. pulled it out. And to do it on. Um, a local television where people were able to tune in and watch it and everything like that. I think that was huge and hugely important for them Definitely. and their, you know, their organization. Absolutely. And I was kind of amazed. I haven't watched this, but on the One Soccer YouTube, there's a video that went up, I think, on Sunday, and it's 12 and a half minutes long, entitled, Where Did It All Go Wrong for Pacific FC? And it's like, that's a bit harsh because... Who would have really tipped them to get to the final four, perhaps? And they've done really well, and they they still could win their last game and just miss out in the championship game by a point. I think there's a lot of growth there. We just heard from Marcel de Jong a little bit earlier in the show, talking about the foundations, and he believes that this is going to be a very strong team next year, and I think it is. Add a couple of pieces, midfielder, striker, defensive depth, and I think you've got a competitive team. And Paz got them playing for him as well. Yeah, I mean, this is a total aside, but will Marcel de Young be a part of it? I don't think he'll be a part of it on the playing side. He could maybe hang around for coaching. Maybe you guys will disagree on this. I, I still think, I, I know it's, it has advantages from, from wide areas, but from his abilities to distribute the ball, and his rel- relative calmness and control on the ball, and his overall ability in relationship to the rest of the players in the league. I still don't understand why he has not been tried or used uh, or at least tested out in, in like a central midfield role mm. for them, um, which I know he's done a little bit in the, in the past. I find that a, a really kind of weird, to be honest, that that, that that hasn't happened. I don't think even in his comeback time last year, but definitely, I don't think it has. Yeah, they played year. about on left midfield when he came back last year. He looked really good out there, to be to be honest. That last game at West Hills, he was tearing up the wing. Yeah, left wing, left middle, midfield is where he's played most. But I, I think I, I, I kind of thought that it would be a bit of a no-brainer 
to use him, especially at this stage of his career in yeah. central midfield. Older, doesn't ha- have to run about as much. Good ball yeah. distribution. Yeah. And and a threat, too. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it's been a good tournament all round. I've really enjoyed it. It's a shame, really, that it's coming to an end. And we played the audio last week that four of those teams, that's their season done in seven games. You've got two more teams now that their season's done after 10 games. And then the other two teams will get one bonus game. But it just feels so short after all the preparation that went into it. And there's just nothing there now for these players to do, apart from maybe head overseas and try and get some loan deals somewhere. Yeah. I, one, of the, one of the things about Pacific, too, I, I don't think you mentioned yet, but uh, we've talked a lot about Pamuduka and uh, uh, how refreshing he is as a, as a person and a coach for uh, his club, for the league. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, the, the clips I heard of his press conference after uh, this most recent loss where he talked about the officiating of the league. Yes. Uh, and, and talked about how it needs to improve because I, I don't think it was inappropriately critical. But again, it was talking about something that typically you get fined for. Typically, it's kind of like a, you know, it's just kind of like an understanding like we don't talk about it because we know we know it's not where, where it could be or should be or whatever. And so let's not, to, you know, bring the league down. But it was good to – I thought it was appropriate, an appropriate time and an appropriate way that he said, hey, this needs to be better because this is not – this is costing yes. teams um, in key moments in, 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 in matches and, and costing teams, like we said before, with Robin Gale and Valor, you know, costing them the ability to progress. And I think some of the, some of the things are debatable, some of the calls and whatever. And, but – uh, as we've talked, you know, both uh, on the show and, you know, off, it's it's definitely one of the, the glaring things about the tournament and about the league that still is is not where people think it should be. Well, if you're going to invest in players and you're going to invest in the league, you also have to invest in officiating because they go hand in hand. And if you're not putting that investment in and you're not growing the officiating side of it, at the same level that the playing side's going, it's it's tough to 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 keep that going and attract players to a league because they're going to be like, oh, this is just this is just farcical. But that that is it for our CPL chat. That is it for this episode. So just before we go, lads, let everyone know where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WakeCapSpeed. Uh, for me, it's at Zachary Am. Now, Michael McCall, you can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada, on YouTube at AFTN Canada. Please subscribe, like, and turn on notifications, and on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. We will be back next week with another packed show. We might also do a live YouTube post game show on Wednesday. We'll kind of see how that plays out, see if it's as eventful as the game at BC Place on Sunday. But until next time, whenever that may be, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay out of the smoke and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
A F